There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome to this week's Failed Critic Podcast and the one that will feature the first ever Failed Critics Hall of Fame entry. More on that later. I'm Steve Norton. I'm joined by James Diamond. Hello. Owen Hughes. Hello. And Jerry McCauley. Hello. And so, yes, James, what is in store this week? Uh, yeah, this week, obviously, we've got what we've all been watching, uh, which we'll come on to shortly. Uh, a little bit about what's been on the site in the last week. Uh, and it's been the site's best ever week in terms of traffic, so that's really good to see. Uh, what's going to be up on the site next week? And then the the main event, the big award, our first ever awards ceremony type thing, where we, we induct someone into our Hall of Fame. And I can, you know, it's a big deal. So I'm looking forward to that. Less of a big deal for the, the person involved, more than anything. No, they, they haven't. They haven't turned up to collect their no. uh, award, but no. you know they don't at the Baftas usually. They, so they didn't even I'd email me back. At least as big as the Baftas. Um. Okay then. So I'm guessing there's no movie news this week. Um. Oh, uh, oh God! It feels like we're the, we're half the official Star Wars bloody podcast at the moment. Even I'm getting a bit sick of it. But apparently, Matthew Vaughan is now the big, big front runner um, to direct Episode Seven after uh, my good friend Jason Fleming. Um, see back to the Prometheus Premier podcast for for why he's my good friend. But my good friend Jason Fleming apparently when he was on the red carpet for, I think, Rise of the Guardians, um, someone asked him about it. He said, well, obviously, I hope to be in it because I'm in all of Vaughan's films. So, uh, yeah, Piers Matthew Vaughan might well be the director for Episode 7, which would be interesting. I think he's a very good director. And it also ties in with the fact that he dropped out of um, Kick-Ass 2 uh, and he also dropped out of the new X-Men film. So that would kind of tie in there as well. Right. Both of those are quite sad things, by the way. What's that? That he dropped out of those two? Both of those films, yeah. I know. Couldn't he have just done them and then gone on to do Star Wars? That would have been great. I was really Um, excited about Kick-Ass 2 because I really liked Kick-Ass 1 and now it's kind of killed the enthusiasm. Hardly any of the same people involved in it. Um, Jane Goldman's not involved in the script this time either. Uh, So, yes. Um, But in X-Men Days of Future Past, I think that's the correct title, the new X-Men film coming out, uh, Ian McKellen and Patrick Stewart have signed on to reprise their roles, which got me very, very excited. It could be, it could end up being absolutely horrible. Could end up being X Men Three, for God's sake. But I'm quite excited to see Ian McKellen somehow how they fit McKellen and Fassbender into the same character in the same film. That excites me. 
Okay, so the quote quiz now. I am second behind James, only uh, by behind Jerry, only by a point now. With James a couple of points behind me, and Owen still on one. I'm not going to expect Owen to get this one, but it fits in nicely with what we're doing. <laughs> it fits in nicely with what we're doing later. And the quote is: "You like me because I'm a scoundrel. There aren't enough scoundrels in your life." Jerry. Yes, Jerry. Uh, uh, the Empire Strikes Back. It is indeed. Oh, <laughs> I was, I, yeah, I, I knew it was that or Jedi, and I couldn't remember which one. I was and... going to go for whichever one Jerry didn't say, if he was wrong. There you go. So, yes, you'll understand why later. <laughs> uh, what we've been watching this week, then I'll start off. I got into or attempted to get into a festive mood now we're in December, and watch Miracle on 34th Street, the newest version from 1994, with Richard Attenborough, as it was on Channel 4, and I imagine it will be repeated somewhere, and it might even be on their on-demand service, so if you want to watch it, do it that way. Um, but I remember watching it when I was a child and didn't enjoy it. I found it a bit boring for a Christmas film. I found the kind of the same now. It is essentially, even though Richard Attenborough and some of the other actors put in good performances, it is fairly boring. I, I've not seen it for years either. It's, it's not. Uh, it's unlike not like you. I couldn't watch it when I was a child, really, because when it was ninety, I was nearly leaving school when it came out. Cause I'm such an old bastard. Um, but I do remember, I, I do really like Richard Attenborough's performance in it. Um, he and is, that's, that's probably one thing that stands out for it for yeah, me, actually. He, he is really good in it, but it doesn't really strike me as a, a very exciting film. And it doesn't really, it's not really like a kid's film. A lot of it's set in a courtroom, which is... You know, yeah, it's an odd one, isn't which, it? Which, which, <laughs> is kind of the, which, like which, which is kind of the best bit of it. And, the intre- and, yeah. and that actually makes for a kind of interesting idea for a film that this person who thinks he's Father Christmas or may well be Father Christmas has to prove that A, Father Christmas is real and B, that he is him or else he has to go to prison for assaulting someone who wound him up and, you know, all this kind of stuff. But that was a, that was a really interesting idea and I thought if they'd stretched that out more, it could have been maybe not a kid's film but a more interesting film. I like the way they get to the conclusion of saying on the dollar bill you've got In God We Trust so, you know, the American government, the American people put all this on their money and they and they trust this as a kind of big thing, but yet there's no explicit hard evidence of there being a god, so mm-hmm. why can't we believe in Father Christmas too? And Richard Attenborough's performance is quite good, he's quite, you know, energetic, he's got some funny bits in it, he's quite a charming performance, but the rest of it, it's just, like I said, it doesn't really work as a kid's film or a Christmas film. No, I can see that. Okay, yeah, I've, I've got no particular affinity with it apart from I do remember seeing it, thinking that yeah, Attenborough was good, but nothing else from the film really sticks in my mind. Yeah, so I can't really argue with you, Steve. I spent the film just noticing other people. I've been watching a lot of Frasier early mornings on Channel Four, and then <laughs> Daphne pops up in it, and then I've been watching American <laughs> Horror Story, and Dylan McDermott pops up in this. So it was just sort of a an earlier version of things that I've been watching. Okay, um, but yes, there are definitely better Christmas films around than that. Although, and uh, we'll come on to that in a future podcast on mm. uh, uh, in a couple of weeks' time. 
Or it might be our end of year show. We'll be doing our Christmas triple bill. So that's where we'll be able to talk about <laughs> our absolute favourite ones. Which is the Santa Claus starring Tim Allen, surely, for everyone. <laughs> uh, jingle all the way, surely. I actually genuinely love Jingle all the way. Don't <laughs> really? <fuck that. laughs> I think it's the last great film that Arnie made. It's actually surprisingly not as bad as you would think it would be. No, I, I, I gen- it's it's one of those films that I, I hate the term guilty pleasures because if you find something pleasurable, why be guilty about it? You know, I, I don't like that term. Some of the some of the things that Your Honor, some of the things that Jerry finds pleasurable. I mean, <laughs> but. But I do think it's a film that you can recognise all its flaws, but still have a lot of fun with it, and that's what I—that's how I chose to see it. And it's got um, Phil Hartman in it before he got killed mm. as well. So it's one of the few Phil Hartman, got a, quite a big Phil Hartman performance. And he sounds exactly like Troy McClure all the way through it. So there's, there's a there's a bit of fun to be had with it. And Elf is on Channel Four next week, so no doubt someone will be talking about that. Yeah. I watched that this week, but that's not what I'm going to talk about today. What are you going to talk about today? Okay, I'm going to try and rattle through them in the short time I've got. Um, very, very quickly, uh, I've been pre- prepping for the 12 Films of Christmas articles that myself and Kate will be delivering for the site in the 12 days leading up to Christmas. So I have watched Die Hard, I've watched Muppet Christmas Carol today, I've also watched National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation and Elf just in the last few days, getting ready for that. Um, uh, I watched The Grey earlier today, the Liam Neeson Wolf Puncher film for, uh, earlier this year, which I actually really enjoyed. Very stark, very bleak. Uh, can't believe it's from the same director who did the horrendous A-Team film. But I, I really, really enjoyed it as a... I thought it was meant to be taken with wolves, but it's far more mature than that. Um, it's a lot more about character than so it is So it's, it's a cross between Taken and Dances with Wolves, which is where you get Taken <laughs> with Wolves. Yes, yes, taken by wolves. That's mm. uh, that's that. That's not nice. Mm. Um, uh, just stick, but, st- stick around and watch these sort of end credits few seconds that everyone always says that you should watch. Oh God, no, I didn't. No, I turned it off. Okay, it's on YouTube. I'm not going to uh, tell you what it is. Just, just thought you might have missed it because I missed you. it the first time. So, oh cool. I'll I'll go back and watch that before I go to bed tonight. Then I, I need to need to have completion there. <laughs> um, but yeah, the main films I do want to talk about this week are three films I saw about saw in the cinema. Um, first, very quickly, is The Master. I remember it being one of Jerry's top picks for the winter, and I think we all agreed that it looked very, very promising. Uh, Joaquin Phoenix, Philip Seymour Hoffman, basically. Um, Joaquin Phoenix plays a an able seaman who's been discharged from the army, uh, well, the navy, not the army, um, and he's got an alcohol problem. He's some kind of like alcoholic alchemist um he seems to mix up potions from all sorts of household chemicals lying around which is quite interesting actually but he falls under the the spell and the wing of philip seymour hoffman playing someone called lancaster dodds who is the master of um what is essentially a cult called the cause all based on scientology i kind of wish they'd just done the story of scientology rather than coming up with this bit of a cop-out way around it where they're not going to get sued or get loads of hassle well, you, from yeah, them. You know what happens when you criticise Scientology? Oh yeah, oh, yeah no, they go I've, nuts. I've, I've seen that. Um, but I, I, I think this feels just a bit like a bit of a cop-out to be honest. Um, there is a full review of it and my thoughts of it on uh, failcritics.com but what I would say is two fantastic performances 
Um, incredible at times, actually, from Phoenix and from Hoffman. Um, brilliant soundtrack from Radiohead's Johnny Greenwood. It is beautifully shot, as you would expect the Paul Thomas Anderson film to be, and it is boring as hell. I, I, I was so surprised. I was so bored by the end of it. It doesn't go anywhere. The, none of the characters go on uh, a journey, either internally or externally. Um, and at, at one point, actually... There appeared to be a 20-minute training montage in the middle of it. Um, I don't think Paul Thomas Anderson knew what he was doing. It, it Actually, you looked at it, it's like, oh, no, this is a training montage. Why isn't any one singing, you're the best, around? <laughs> that would have livened it up for me. Um, so, yeah, The Master, loads of people love it. I, I, it just bored me. I can't help it. Um, didn't make me as angry, though, as Beasts of the Southern Wild, which I saw this week, which was... Uh, it. it premiered at Sundance. Um, it won Best Cinematography at Cannes. Basically, it's the story of uh, a young girl, six-year-old girl called Hush Puppy, and she lives in the floodplains and the swamps outside the New Orleans Levee flood defence system. Um, again, review of this is up on failcritics.com. It's meant to be magic realism. Uh, uh, this just made me hugely angry because it was taking an almost patronising view of oh, the wisdom of these people who live outside of the levee. Oh, they're the outsiders. Oh, look, look, they have holidays all the time. Yes, because they haven't got any jobs. Yeah, you know, there's nothing magical about these people. Um, there, there's what you don't see, because you're looking at it through the eyes of a six-year-old, is that this community is probably beset with alcoholism, uh, domestic violence, sexual abuse, and people dying by the age of 30-odd. This isn't a wonderful, mystical place. These people... And, and, you know, these people can make their own choices, but there's a father there with a six-year-old daughter, and we're meant to think that her life is best there. And a uh, big flood comes, basically. Uh, I think it, it's meant to be like the New Orleans, uh, the Hurricane Katrina. And these people are seen being forcibly removed from their homes. It's like, no, they're being rescued. Um, and then they break out of the hospital. It's like, no, you're denying medical treatment to you. It just made me so angry. Um, so... Yeah, my full reasons for that are up on failcritics.com. But one I haven't had a chance to write a review of, and that's the one I just want to spend the last minute or so talking about, is Room 237, which I know, Owen, you were going to put in your winter picks, but you weren't sure when it was going to get a national yeah. ride. Yeah, that's yeah. right. Um, yeah, basically, documentary focusing on nine different theorists and their views on the hidden meanings, um, the hidden agenda of Stanley Kubrick's The Shining. It's essentially a film about obsessives, obsessing over a film about obsession made by a famously obsessive filmmaker, which is lovely. It wraps it all up in a nice big meta parcel with a bow. <laughs> um it's really interesting. It is constructed entirely from uh, voiceovers and archive footage. And there's a few like graph graphic flourishes. But um, what I really like about it is, A, you get to see loads of The Shining, which is great because The Shining's a fantastic film. But loads of the people's voiceovers are illustrated by clips from other Kubrick films. So that was quite fun, being able to watch little bits of that. And at one point in Eyes Wide Shut, Tom Cruise goes into a cinema and goes to see The Shining. So that yeah. like, all fitted in, and they used footage for that as well. So that was really nice. Um, basically, uh, you, after a while, you get the feeling that the director is not focusing on the theories but focusing on the theorists themselves um and it does become a film about their obsessions some of them do not cover themselves in glory particularly and i think the editor i think editor director could have cut out a few of them who barely don't know what 
they barely know what point they're making. So I don't know what we're meant to get from them. Uh, and they generally come across as kind of crackpots, a few of them. Uh, so, yeah, there's at least 20 minutes too much of people going, um, uh, yeah, well, I kind of meant that. That's annoying. Um, but the great thing about this film is we know that Kubrick was an obsessive director. And when they point out these inconsistencies or story decisions or apparent continuity errors, we, you are thinking, well, Kubrick wouldn't have allowed that to happen, so he must have done, oh, maybe they've got a point. And there's a few strands and a few theories where you get, where you do end up thinking, actually, they may have a point. My favourite one is um, that the moon landing footage was faked. The person didn't uh, argue that we went to the moon. They just said that the, the footage was faked and they reckon they've got evidence that it was all front screen projection. Um, and that The Shining is Kubrick's confession that he um, filmed the moon landing. Um, and there's loads of little bits where they think that's what it's about. You know, at one point, the kid's wearing an Apollo 11 jumper. Um, that's not the most, that's one of the more obvious ones. But the fact that Room 237 in the film, in the in the original Stephen King book, it was room 217, I believe, uh, and 237, the moon is 237,000 miles from the Earth and things like that. What's great is you watch and go, each of these nine theories, little bits of them stand up, but they can't all stand up, and that's kind of where that's, the that's film... That's what I never get like. about conspiracy theories. If you were going to fake the moon landings, you wouldn't put subtle hints to it in films for people to spot. Oh, no, but this is apparently because um, Kubrick was guilty about it. He wanted to tell someone. Um, and they do they do point out Kubrick had an IQ of 200, which I didn't know before this, actually, which is uh, basically this is the... They were saying this is the uh, film of a board filmmaker. He'd done everything he wanted to do, so he was going to work out how he could write a confession that only the cleverest people would ever be able to spot in years after his death, that kind of thing. Um, but as a as a documentary on film, it was really, really interesting. I really enjoyed it. Um, and it did, bits of it did make me think, well, there might be something to that. There was a theory that it's about the, uh, there's also a few theories about it's about the uh, Nazi extermination of the Jews or the um, the US settlers' extermination of the Native American peoples. But though it was really, really interesting. I enjoyed it. Okay, and um, Owen, what have you viewed in the last seven days? Uh, it's the first time in a- absolutely ages where I've not actually watched that many films. I watched two in about a week, um, which is pretty low for me. But um, yeah, the first one I want to talk about is a film I went to see earlier today in the cinema. Um, so it's sort of still still out and it's it's a bit more widely available than The Master. I really wanted to see The Master, but it's not showing anywhere near me, which mm. is just really frustrating. And it looks like Seven Psychopaths, which is another one I want to see, isn't showing anywhere near me either. And also Sightseers. I'm absolutely fuming. It's, it's one of the biggest British films of the year. It's got rave reviews everywhere. Um, and you know, I live in Leicester, which is, someone told me on Twitter, the 10th biggest city in the country and not a single one of my three big chains is showing sightseers and my usually very reliable local arts cinema isn't showing it until the end of the month what am i meant to do it's disgusting empire empire cinemas in pool coincidentally is showing sightseers which is very unusual for them because they usually rubbish at showing films that might not be so popular Um, yeah well you should uh, have you seen the track has everyone seen the trailer 
Uh, I saw the yeah, trailer before no. the master, and it was the best bit of my day. Uh, the trailer was amazing. I'm so excited for this film. You should definitely go see it, Steve, if you can. Well, I've got lots of films now that to go and see. I might have to do a double header in the cinema this week oh, because oh, that because it's all because it's also Life of Pi that we were going to review as a main review, mm. but we're not now. Yeah, but need to watch that and Seven Psychopaths as well. So I might spend yeah. a lot of time in the cinema in the next week. Sounds heavenly. On my own, the, without anyone annoying yeah. me. I'm going to sit out. That's not out until like mid December, is it? Uh, no, Life of Pi, yeah. It's December. Uh, I think it's twenty something. Twenty first. It just yeah, came up um, saying it was available for the fourteenth. I was going to say they put it out the week after the Hobbit, yeah. didn't they? Yeah. yeah. I'm just hoping anyway. my back can hold up to cinema seating this week. That's my main issue. But anyway, I'm James moaning is old. again. Yeah, I'm old. <laughs> I've done my back. <laughs> anyway, Owen. Anyway. You went well, to see I mean, a film. Yes, I went to see a film. Uh, I went to see Rise of the Guardians. You mean to tell me you didn't go to see Nativity 2 Danger in the Manger, Owen? I didn't, no. No, I didn't. Okay. I didn't see that. I didn't go to see uh, Gambit, which looked awful, and from the sounds of it, it was also getting poor reviews. Um, yeah, Coen Brothers can't do remakes. Apparently not. Um, so, yeah, I went to see a kid's film instead, which... I kind of was looking forward to a little bit. I thought it would be just a bit of fun, you know. It's quite an easy-to-watch film, quite short. I hadn't been to the cinema in a few weeks, so I was quite looking forward to it. I think its main problem is that it is literally just a kid's film. I mean, there isn't much humour there for adults. It's the PG certificate. Um, But the story, the development of all the characters, you know, the kind of peril that they're in, and it is very mild peril. It's just my favourite kind. <laughs> yeah, it's for, but it's yeah. I mean, it's just for, for young kids. I mean, I would have assumed that, that um, it might have something a bit because it's DreamWorks. I do quite like some of the DreamWorks films. I know they get a bit of uh, stick for not being Pixar occasionally. Um, but yeah, I think recently they've been good. Um, How to Train Your Dragon, I was really, really. How to Train Your Dragon is very good. Yeah, yeah. And you know that's adapted from a kid's story. This is adapted from a kid's book as well. Um. So I think they are going to make a series out of it, just like How to Train Your Dragon. I think they've stumbled onto another moneymaker. But um, yeah, so anyway, the, the plot of the story is basically it's basically that there are some guardians and they're all the kinds of things that kids think, uh, uh, you know, believe in, but actually aren't real. Sorry to spoil that for anyone who's <laughs> young enough to still be in. But, you know, Santa, Easter Bunny, Tooth Fairy, they have the Sandman in there. But the main character is Jack. Steve's Bob. distraught right now. You know that, don't you? <laughs> no, Steve's sorry. just... You've rocked his world. <laughs> can't handle this. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I mean, they're, they're interesting characters. What I thought was um, actually the best thing about this, well, there was two two of the best things about the characters. One is the voice acting, because there were a few people in there. I, could, I couldn't quite place it. I didn't go into the film what, uh, knowing who was behind some of the voices. So mm. one of them's really obvious. The Easter Bunny is... The characters are slightly different to their traditional... Um, sort of uh, interpretation. So the Easter Bunny, for example, is this Australian giant six-foot rabbit who throws a boomerang. Uh, and he's voiced by, who else would he be voiced by but Hugh Jackman? Yeah. So, yeah, obviously. But then there's things like North, who's basically, he, he is Santa. And he's, mm. he's got this Russian accent or this kind of like Eastern European accent. And he's voiced by like Alec Baldwin. Which when I was oh. listening, I had absolutely no idea. It wasn't until afterwards when the credits are rolling and I was trying to see, uh, actually, I was trying to see who plays the, the boogeyman, who's the villain in this pitch black. Because all the way through, I thought, I really know that voice. I think it's Tom Hiddleston. Turns out it was Jude Law. 
who did oh. that. Yeah. But um, it was uh, Alec Baldwin playing this this really Russian accented Santa, which was just great. I just had no idea. He puts on a really good performance, um, and he's quite funny in it as well. So that was quite good. But the, the the sort of most amazing thing with the characters is the character of the Sandman. So I don't know whether you sort of remember when Spider Man Three came out, and mm. most of the praise possibly the only praise that it would receive from anyone was the, the use of the CGI with Sandman as the villain. Yeah. People saying it's incredible, you know, technology to do this is just fantastic and it's going to change sort of CGI films. In, in this, there is the character Sandman who is made out of sand. He creates things out of sand. The boogeyman steals his sort of power and he creates all these nightmares out of sand and stuff. And it just looks fantastic. I, I mean, it's really incredible to look at um because it's so because it's a kids film as well everything's so bright everything's so sharp the colors are really sort of contrasting with each other and it's it's this kind of bright gold and orange and it's just uh, yeah absolutely fantastic it's worth seeing even if you just watch like a trailer just to see that bit because it's um in fact i think that that dreamworks did individual videos short videos on the internet for each character so if you watch the sandman's one you'll see what mm. i mean it's just utterly Amazing. I was mesmerised by it. Um, Speed Racer or this? Oh, it's... Speed Racer, yeah. <laughs> I would probably say Speed Racer is... It kind of mixes the animation with live action. This is just animation, so it's a bit unfair. Uh, You've been talking about how visually stunning it was. It know? was visually, yeah. It's a tough one. I think possibly, um, as a whole, probably Speed Racer. If I was put on the spot, I'd say Speed Racer. But, you know, there's been a few sort of animated films that have looked great this year. Brave, I thought the hair of the main character was just mm. incredible. I was just about uh, to say, was it better than Brave, though? It's kind of, a, it's it's tough to rank them against each other because they're doing different things. They're using different kinds of technology, I think, because the sand is is using something that was created because of Spider-Man 3. So it's, in, it's amazing to see how it's developed. And it does look, oh, yeah, it's tough. I don't know which one. Paranorman was great as well, but that was sort of stop motion. Yeah, Paranorman is one of my favourite films this year, actually. The more I think about it, I absolutely loved Paranorman. Yeah. So, you know, it's a good year for animated films so far, I think. Because this is, although it's a kid's film, I did quite like it. Um, it is, I can't really get over him, which it is a kid's film, though. You know, mm, there were uh, kids who were in the cinema, really young kids, who just loved it. It's kind of film where, you know, you've got like a five or six-year-old sitting next to you or behind you. And all you can hear is them talking over the film and saying to their parents, you know, is this is this what's happening? So, but you don't mind because that's the audience for it. It is for these these kids. I thought it might have been a bit more mature. You'd sort of sneak some more clever jokes into it like Pixar do or the very best kind of Disney mm. film. But it, yeah, it doesn't really. It just it stays at a level for young kids and it moves it along at sort of their kind of pace. You know exactly where it's going. You know that... If people die, they're not going to die. You know, if you know the boogeyman's doing something bad, he's going to get his comeuppance. You know, it is very basic mm-hmm. story. Um, but I do quite like the dynamic of the characters, and I do like the, the sort of style of it. Uh, Jack Frost actually is um, a pretty interesting character because he's the central the central character. To it. They've made him kind of just like a uh, like a cheeky kid, basically. Mm. Um, you know, he's a bit naughty, a bit mischievous. Um, so it's the kind of character that young kids are really gonna gonna like. You know, plays a few pranks on people, but it's always very fun, very jolly. And he has his dilemma in the middle of the film where, oh, is he is he gonna actually 
join the, the side of the guardians? Is he going to become one of these guardians and protect the, the kids from from the evil of the you know of pitch black? Or, or is he actually going to side with him? And it's all very obvious if you know if you've seen films. If you're five or six, <laughs> it might be a bit more confusing. But um, so yeah, I mean, it was good. The animation was great. Um, but yeah, the humour is what what lets it down. I think you mentioned that you watched Despicable Me, James. Yeah. Yeah, oh yeah, that's another film that I watched this week. There you go. Which yeah. I liked. I really enjoyed actually, yeah. Quite funny. But the humour yeah. it's you know with Despicable Me, you've got the little yellow things, I can't remember. Yeah. Uh minions. The minions, yes. Minions, yeah. <laughs> in in this, it's kind of thought, well actually, those minions, people really like those minions. So yeah. I'm going to put them in this film as well. But every character is going to have their own minions. So Santa's got elves, these tidy little elves, which are basically minions from Despicable Me. Right. They're just exact. They're just basically carbon copies mm. of and kind of humour, um, but not as good. You've got the Tooth Fairy, who's got her little fairy things, the little hummingbird fairies or whatever. They are, also doing similar kinds of humour, and it's just really, it's not not original or not fresh enough to be. Mm. Is it forced though? A little bit. Some of the, some of the stuff with the elves, and there's a bit with the, the Easter Bunny, and they're painting eggs, and it is quite funny. But you just think, well, it's not really original. They have just thought, well, kids liked those in Despicable Me, so we'll put more of it in this, even though it's kind of Universal's film. But saying, but saying that, will will kids care? No. I mean, you're, ta- you're you're talking about it as like the point of view of a cynical, miserable old man. So, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Talking to cynical, miserable old men who are an audience of presumably cynical, miserable people who are listening to, listening to us being cynical and miserable. Yeah, it's it's not really going to make you laugh out loud. But kids loved it. I mean, they were just laughing their heads off at scenes. And there's an in joke with one of the Yetis in it who's making toys for Santa, and that's quite funny. Um, but yeah, I wouldn't really go into it expecting big barely laughs throughout. It's a good kids film. I haven't got kids to tag it with me, but I'm sure they would have liked it as well. Um, yeah, it's 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 alright. It's quite good. Quite there good there you go. It's, if, it's, if, if like it's not a... as bad as it's getting. It's getting a bit picking from some people. It's not that bad. But, okay. yeah. There you go. Like if, like Owen, you've got imaginary children, that is a great film to see. <laughs> and pretend to take them with you. Hmm. Buy free tickets. It's only one of you. They won't look at you strange, honestly. He's got. You, you know when people have those fake dog leads. Yeah. <laughs> Do you reckon Owen's got one of those, like a, a, a child harness, but like one of those fake dog leads? <laughs> full on push chair. I wheeled just a full on push chair into the cinema. Nice. The oil. I just put beers in. It <laughs> <laughs> he turns up to the Saturday morning uh, baby showings. You know where like he can just make as much noise as he wants. I've been yeah. really tempted to take mine to one of those. I, I remember um, my Odeon does a newbies thing on a Wednesday morning, and the, that was I was going to go and see uh, what was that terrible Tom Hardy film earlier this year? This means war because they don't show kid films in them. That's, that's the really weird thing. They show a lot of films for parents, but turn the lights up and let kids scream about. I thought that would be the best way to watch This Means War, actually just having loads of kids running around screaming but it didn't work out but I keep meaning to go to one they look fun there we go Jerry what have you watched this before Jerry says this thing can I just very quickly talk about Searching for Sugar Man which I watched this week as well Um, documentary if you've been on the site in July I think it was posted Jim Hornacy posted a a secret screenings review 
where he went to see a film and it turned out to be Searching for Sugar Man. It's a documentary about a guy called Rodriguez who sold less than about 100 records in America in the sort of 70s, 60s, 70s, faded out, nobody'd heard of him, didn't make it anywhere. But in South Africa, he was just bigger than Elvis. He'd sold hundreds of thousands of records. It's such, a, you know, they had no idea what happened to him. All they knew was his name and his picture that was on the front of the album sleeve. And he basically inspired a revolution against the party. So it's just this incredible story of this guy who's, they don't know anything about, he might be dead, the rumours are he committed suicide, um, and how this sort of revolution happened because of him. So if you get a chance to watch it, it's out on DVD next month. It's incredible. And definitely read Jim Shaughnessy's uh, review, mm. unless you yeah. want to avoid spoilers. It's very spoiler-laden, but quite a brilliant write-up. I just wanted to put that out there. Cause it the was more discerning viewers may have uh, caught him being interviewed on Andrew Marr last weekend, I think it was. Right, okay. Hey, Jim Shaughnessy, amazing. Right, yeah. move on. Any <laughs> <laughs> wishes. As if, um, as if any of no. us watch something with Andrew Marr on it, any of the listeners. They're all kids <laughs> and foreign. Bless them. I was just saying that the last demographics kick. Yeah, yeah. I was just going to yeah. say they're too lowbrow to watch something with Andrew. Yeah, Marley. yeah. Steve goes in with the Steve finishes them off. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, sorry, I'm finished. I'm taking up loads of time already. Yes. Yeah, so, Jerry, what have you watched this week? Well, mine won't be too time consuming. Actually, I spent most of my time rewatching Game of Thrones um, because nice. my my better half has finally uh, come round to realizing that Game of Thrones is awesome. Mm-hmm. I've convinced her to watch it, so we've spent 10 hours this week watching the entirety of the first series. Nice. And two hours this afternoon watching uh, the start of the second series. Oh, I need to watch the second series. I've not watched it yet. Oh, it's brilliant. Yeah. It's even better. Second oh, series it's even better. Yeah. No, well, I haven't seen any of the second series, so I'm quite excited now because I've sort of gone through the ones I've seen and got a lot of pleasure out of sort of knowing the characters and knowing some nice twists, but now it's all exciting and new. What I have seen film-wise uh, that I want to talk about is uh, Fast Five. I finally got around to watching Fast Five. Uh, okay. I mean, I didn't go into it expecting a great deal. I'm not going to lie. It's, it's it's not a highbrow film. It's not something that I expect to really move me or do innovative things. It's just uh, basically a shitty action film full of really stupid, insane stunts that make no sense and the storyline is thinly holding it together that's the kind of thing that I was you know I was mm. expecting and that's pretty much what I got but it, it did it very well mm. you know, is this one with the rock in it is it, it is, is Dwayne Johnson in it? oh I'm I'm, I'm in okay <laughs> <Right ahead. laughs> most ridiculous character I mean ugh. just basically he's a he's he plays a government agent trying to track down um, Vin Diesel and what's he called Paul Walker is that his name that's him yeah all the rest of them um, through uh, Rio de Janeiro. Basically, that's where they've hidden away. And The yeah. Rock's like some American cracking agent who goes to take him down and is literally, he apparently is able to just go around shooting people with his team of men with massive automatic weapons. They just, just <laughs> shoot as many people as they want. It doesn't matter. <laughs> and, you know, there's, there's some quite sort of uh, questionable things in it, like the way he sort of is very dismissive of the foreign police, and the, you know they're very much meant to be the bumbling foreign police. You know, but overall, very enjoyable, really enjoyable film. Even Vin Diesel's not that bad in it, which is an achievement, I think, for the director. I think he's done well there. Yeah. Um, 
you know, it's got the rock in it kicking ass. The rock is huge these days, by the way. Absolutely. Oh, no. Man. Jesus. Um, because they've been filming the new one in UK, haven't they? They've yeah. just fit, they've just wrapped Fast Six or whatever they're going to call it. I don't know. Yeah, well, that was actually what what got me round to finally watching it because I followed The Rock on Twitter and he was talking about being in Liverpool. And I was like, oh, should probably watch the last one. Oh, Jerry, you part of Team Bring It? <laughs> Fortunately not. <laughs> I wish. But uh, okay. It's £3.75 on Amazon. I think I might buy it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm excited. Did everybody see the Rock's Halloween costume, by the way? Just uh, as an aside to finish this I, review. I was going to mention it. It's fantastic. No, I didn't see it. What was it? <laughs> the Rock basically painted himself green and went as the Hulk. Yes. <laughs> because he's just so enormous, he actually looks like the Incredible Hulk. So he just painted himself green and put a wig on. That is awesome, actually. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to look for that. And he genuinely looks like the Hulk as well. It's amazing. I do yeah. love The Rock. I yeah. do love him so much. <laughs> if you like The Rock, if you like sort of that kind of film, you know, where it's it's, it's very much, a, it knows what it is. It's not trying to be anything better than it than it is, but what it does, it does very well. There's some very impressive visual stunts. The storyline is not going to excite you or engage you too much. A lot of it's utterly ludicrous. Speaking of ludicrous, he's in it. He's he's all right. You know, it's a bit of an ensemble <laughs> cast, and it, it and it, it's 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 decent. It's a good watch. It's a, it's surprisingly long. I think it was two and a bit hours actually. What? <laughs> yeah, I couldn't believe that. It's like it was literally. I think it's two and a half hours. Jesus um, Christ! But it's very much if you want to watch a mindless film, it's it's a good one. You know what I mean? Yeah. Particularly if you if you get it, you know, in in Blu-ray, it's it's very visually. I've actually heard that from a few other people, kind of not critics, but in film blogging world. A few people who've gone. No, actually, it's good fun, and yeah, so yeah, it's give it a fun. go. It's yeah, not like the later sort of Fast and the Furious, the early ones, the first mm. two, I think, particularly were enjoyable films. They were very good. Um, well, I, I've never been. It's, it's a franchise that has never interested because I'm not a massive fan of cars, and I assumed you need. It's like I hate Top Gear. Okay, so and that's I, that's probably lost us some more listeners or something. I fucking hate Top Gear, but I, I hate, I'm just not into cars. I drive a Micra, <laughs> which by extension means I'm not into cars. They, uh, the, the cars are a bit more of a tenuous link in this one, actually. Okay, oh that sounds good. It's very much an action film which has a lot of car chases, and they don't really show the car races, which is what the first yeah are about. And they've moved away from that, and it's generally just using those characters in that world to base a, a film off. There is a bit of, of this sort of underground car racing thing, but it's not actually filming the car racing. They, they go to, like, the scene, the underground bit, and there's yeah. sort of interactions there and things, and then it'll just cut to them coming back with a car, you know, that kind of okay. thing. Cool. So it was, it's very much a, a sort of sideways step, but still using the same thing, but it's more of a, a general action film. It's not like you don't need to love the original Fast and the Furious films to like this film. It's just an enjoyable watch. Could you go into it without watching all of the previous four? Because I've seen the first one, but I had no desire to watch any of the others. But it's, I've heard a lot of people saying this one's actually quite a good past the time action film. Yeah, I mean, I haven't seen the Tokyo Drift one because, frankly, okay. it's terrible. Mm-hmm. Um, but I've seen the just first... read them on Wikipedia, Owen. Just read, yeah. read up the plots on Wikipedia. Plots, that's what that I do. The plots are <laughs> that's what we all do. Fascinately intricate, delicate, you know. <laughs> Yeah. Michelle Panic, who wasn't competing to fucking film this thing. I mean, it's not it's not a tall thriller. It's very bog standard. Yeah. But you can you can figure it out. I would imagine you don't really need to even read Wikipedia. You can figure out exactly what's going on, it's, and you can see exactly how ludicrous it is, is as it, well. Is it basically cars, guns, the rock, and tits? 
Yeah, yeah here we go. More, more Steve has also just bought this film. <laughs> <laughs> no, I can't stand them. I think they're awful. <laughs> I mean, it's you... the rock, though. It's the rock. Yeah, I mean, you could count on your hand the number of bad action films he's been in. Suppose mm. you could count on the other hand how many good ones he's been in there. Yeah, yeah. No, I, he's one of those people that, to me, is great in even in a terrible film. Uh, he's got really good screen presence. I can watch him in anything, despite the rest of the film being absolutely abominable. Right, then. Like the cage. Shall we yeah. move? <laughs> shall we move on to our Hall of Fame? And, yeah. yeah. Speaking of people with stage presence. Mm. Oh yes. <laughs> nice, nice linking there, Jerry. Yeah. Funny you should mention that. Mm. Uh, so, James, this this was I can't remember whose idea it was, but you're in charge. It was, mine. Of... It was someone's <laughs> idea to rob it from someone else. Yeah, it was mine. <laughs> <laughs> Solely mine. No one has ever done a Hall of Fame on any. Mm. Show sure. no. podcast. It's, uh, it's a new concept, Jerry. So why don't you explain to us what a hall of fame is? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's more a corridor of fame, really. I think James referred to it as. Yeah, more got, a, Yeah, I've written a little speech and everything. We we can't call it a, a hall of fame. It's it's too sort of trademarked and everything. It's a it's a corridor of praise. Oh, that's nice. Oh, that's yeah. good. I like it. Mm. Okay, I'll just hang on. Search and replace on my speech. <laughs> Job done. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Do you want me to introduce it then, Steve? Yes. Okay, so, uh, yeah, Corridor of Praise, we go. I like that. Um, yes, so I'd like to welcome you all, all of you listeners, to the first ever Failed Critics Corridor of Praise induction. Our corridor of praise has been set up to honour the work of those legends of the movie world who have never even sought the acceptance of the Academy, who have been shunned by those bestowers of baubles. The rules for the membership of the corridor of praise are simple. People can be nominated by anyone who listens to the podcast or reads the uh, Fail Critics website, but nominations must be accepted by all four of us wise men of the podcast and any of us can veto a nomination. Anyone nominated must also have a career spanning at least 20 years and have not won an Oscar for their primary work. As with everything that we do, these rules can be broken, though. Uh, so tonight... Why we're going to bend them to get Jason Statham in at some point. Yes, <laughs> yeah. And, and, and Nick Cage has won an Oscar, but he should be in here as well. But anyway... Um, <laughs> he won anyone... an Oscar? Nick Cage? Yeah, uh, for leaving Las Vegas. Very early I on had on no game. idea. Yeah, there you go. Oscar winner Nick Cage. Which was why um, he loses his shit all the time now. It's all <laughs> downhill. Yeah. yeah. Um, yes, tonight we're all, we are honouring the first recipient of our uh, recorded adoration. I am a huge fan and I'm really pleased to be the person handing this award in a very metaphorical sense to him. Uh, he has a career spanning six decades. His films have grossed over $6 billion worldwide. And at one point, four of the top six grossing films of all time featured him. In 1997, Empire Magazine named him as their number one movie star of all time. Didn't put him in any kind of Hall of Fame or anything, though. Uh, and as well as the iconic roles he's known for that we will no doubt discuss shortly, he's appeared in films as diverse as What Lies Beneath, Working Girl, and The Fugitive. Of course, I'm talking about the one, the only... Jack Ryan, Indiana Jones, Han Solo himself, Harrison Ford. Hooray! Applause. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, Harrison Ford's our first choice. And I 
there, there, there were a few people that we mentioned that uh, when we were discussing who we would have as our, our first ever inductee. Um, but I, although they were also very, very good, solid nominations, I can't think of anyone really better, uh, especially considering some of the conversations we've been having recently, than Harrison Ford. Owen can. Oh, Owen can, yeah. Owen can think of better cops than John McClane, though, so yeah. whatever. No, <laughs> um, <Through> Sidney Poitier. Or Denzel Washington. Yeah, Harrison Ford. Um, fucking legend. Um, and what I love is early on in his career, acting failing, so he became a professional carpenter. Um, and it was, and that's, he was hired to build cabinets at George Lucas's house, who then put him in American graffiti. It's a proper American dream story. Mm. Oh, I really like it. It's and then apparently, like what your dad would say as well. Learn yeah. a trade. Learn a trade. Exactly. And that's why he, he, he was an actor. Then he learned how to be a carpenter to support his wife and kids. That's really nice. And, um, yeah, and apparently Francis Ford Coppola, hired him to expand his office and ended up giving him roles in the conversation and Apocalypse Now as well. Uh, and it's really weird that... Makes you wonder what he was doing right now. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's like knocking something up and doing Shakespeare's soliloquies or something, just like trying to catch the something. eye. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that... No, that was, uh, that was the uh, opinion of Owen. Uh, <laughs> of failed yes. critics. Owen, who had <laughs> some fault. Uh, at O'Hughes 86 on Twitter. <laughs> yeah. Um, um, I'll well, send the abuse so I can take you. Yes, yes, so yes. There's, there's a bit I liked reading up about him, about his early career, that he was walking along, um, you know, the Hollywood Walk of Fame, and he saw, a, he saw a tile, or whatever they call them, with Harrison Ford already on it before he'd really become famous because it was a silent film actor also called Harrison Ford. Yeah, that's really not, uh, that's, and yeah, for one of his films he was Harrison J. Ford. Yeah. The J does that or anything, just to separate him from that other like, actor. Like Homer J. Simpson. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that, it's one of those, oh wow, what a story, you know, mm. oh, I've already seen my name as a, a star on the, uh, what do they call it? That's not a Hall of Fame, is it? That's a Walk of Fame. Mm. Um, so no, no, I think that's that's awesome. Um, and yeah, I love that. It, like his early roles just came about via these weird, stupid ways. And or or like his, er, his early big roles. His he early was, big he was in roles, other yeah. films that you know. He was in. Yeah, he had very minor roles in a lot of things, and that's what kind of persuaded him to take up a trade as as Jerry said, learn a trade. Um in yeah, and he built his own house as well, so that makes him yeah. times more awesome. And he flies uh, like so many he flies shitloads of planes as well, which is just cool. Um he was also a stagehand for the doors. Yes. So Yeah. Yeah, I know, what a life. Um I, and I love that um he actually wanted to kill Han Solo off at the end of uh, both Star Wars sequels because he thought it would give the film a bottom. He was really, uh, you know, a bit of integrity there. Um, and he only got the Indiana Jones part after George Lucas's first choice of Tom Selleck didn't work out. That's just a man. Yeah, How many films has Tom Selleck been the first choice for? And it's just been uh, the best decision ever not to give him the, the role. <laughs> and it was just really unlucky for him. He's like the anti Ford. He, he's, yeah. he, he's, 
been there for all these parts and then ended up not getting them doing Three Men and a Baby and stuff like that. Or maybe the secret to doing a really good film is to look at Tom Selleck's schedule, cast mm-hmm. him in it, but realise he won't actually be able to do it. And so yeah. he won't, you know, and then you'll have to pick someone else, but initially pick Tom Selleck and then the film's a hit. That's that's really important, I mm-hmm. think, yeah. It was that... really important Indiana, Indiana Jones didn't have a moustache, so... Yeah, yeah, that's, um, yeah. Have you seen the the kind of mocked up photos? It just looks so weird. It just looks weird. <laughs> it's horrible. <laughs> um, but you know, obviously, we've spoken about Star Wars. Uh, Star Wars loads on here, but you know, Ford is one of the. He is probably the most um, engaging screen presence of every anyone in those films. You know, Steve said before that. Uh, you know, kids want to be Luke Skywalker. As you grow up, you want to be uh, Han Solo. I think he is—he is the magnetism in those films, and he—he's the driving force. He's the—he's the cool part of the film, essentially. Yeah. Mm. Mm. Definitely. Um, and it's—you know—and then he went on into Indiana Jones. Indiana Jones is a fantastic character, but again, it's. Yeah, and we've spoken about it on here before. Some people are amazing actors. Uh, Harrison Ford is a movie star. He doesn't, he's recognizable in pretty much every film he does. And you kind of know what you're going to get. He's never going to surprise you, but you like watching him. And as an audience member, you root for him automatically and you like him because he is a charismatic, engaging screen character. Would, would anyone else agree? No. Oh, definitely. Yeah. I think, I mean, you can't think of Indiana Jones without, you know, what he brings to that role. He's such an iconic character and, and, and he just draws that out and rounds it out as, as well written as that can be. Yeah. It's him that makes it so great. Do you know what I mean? I mean, yeah. they can't have written in just how much of a brilliant character Harrison Ford makes Indiana Jones. No, exactly. Because it's been, you know, it, I imagine in the, the original script, it's quite a paper thin character uh, and you're right he does matter what i love is that he got the the scar on his face um like before he even became an actor and, and a number of his films they come up with very different reasons and in indiana jones i can't it's um it's the it's, he's like with a tiger and a whip or something like that isn't he as a youngster there's like a cutaway and it explains that he got it from a bull whip basically uh, which which is nice. I, I quite like the fact that they weave that into some of his stories as well. Um, Did he get back because he was fastening his seatbelt and crashed or something stupid? I'm sure it's a car crash, or yeah, I'm sure it's something to do with a car. Um, but yeah, you know, we've talked about Harrison Ford, uh, Han Solo, Indiana Jones, where it's basically Harrison Ford writ large on screen using his natural charisma. But in the 80s, he did put in some brilliant performance. I think Blade Runner. We've mm. spoken about Blade Runner on here before. That is that's proper acting. He's he's genuinely putting in a fantastic, ambivalent performance. Um, it, he doesn't know whether or not he's a replica. I, I think his performance in Blade Runner is incredible, um, and also his performance in Witness is fantastic, and that did get him his only ever Oscar nomination. Um, uh, he was in Polanski's Frantic as well. During the 80s, he did do some very good films outside of the big franchises as well that I think sometimes maybe get a little bit overshadowed. Yeah, well, I mean, 
Blade Runner is just such a, a brilliant film as well in general. I mean, I've spoken about how much I love it before. But I think as well, what makes it what makes it so great is he truly believes something different to what the director believes mm. throughout that film and the dynamic that that creates. I mean, he mm. he's, he is a, he's a very passionate sort of um, strong-willed man, isn't he? You know? Yes. And, and, and you can see that he brings, he wants to portray that in, in a certain way. Ridley wants to portray it in a different way. And yeah. actually, the fact that he sticks to his guns makes it so brilliantly enigmatic because yeah. that's what that's what blurs it so much. Definitely. Yeah, I think that's really, really important. To, yeah, because Ridley does have an idea, a very distinct idea of what is happening in Blade Runner. You're exactly right. Harrison Ford has gone on record saying that he believes one thing, Ridley Scott believes another. And yeah, a, a lesser actor and a lesser personality will have been moulded. You're exactly right to make a far less... And the way he did the voiceover as well. I mean, yeah. he's not voiceover, he just, he just does it like this. He does not want to speak at all because he, he genuinely does not believe that the voiceover is necessary, so he just refuses yeah. <laughs> to do yeah. it, really. Yeah, no. So, and then, obviously, went on to the 90s, uh, the Jack Ryan films, uh, Clear and Present Danger, and... The other one's gone off the top of my head now. That's terrible. Uh, was it Patriot Games? Patriot Games, yes, thank you. That was the first one, then Clear and Present Danger. The Fugitive, which is oh, such a brilliant film. And is, The Fugitive's the first time I ever really noticed Tommy Lee Jones as well. It's the, They are such a, an iconic screen pairing, those two. Um, love The Fugitive. And I personally think Air Force One is a really underrated film. I don't know if any of you have seen it. Yes, it's a, it's a good Action it's good, film solid action where, film. where he stars it's, as the president. Yeah. It's uh, a typical mid-90s action film. But it's directed by Wolfgang Peterson. You know, we've, we've got the Das Boot director involved here. Uh, and Gary Oldman brilliantly hams it up as I think he's Russian in this. Yeah. Um, uh, but Harrison Ford just plays the kind of president we all wish existed in real life kind of thing. Um, but yeah, I think that's really good. What I would say is... He, de- he didn't make a lot. He, he's never really been hugely prolific in the amount of films he's made. He's always been very happy with making one one a year. Sometimes not even that. Um, but in the next year or so, he's got a load coming out. Um, mm. uh, next next year alone, he's got Ender's Game, which, which is a which sci-fi looks, novel looks adaptation. Quite, looks quite interesting. Looks interesting. He does like um, sci-fi. Yeah, definitely, and it looks like he's playing kind of grizzled old, grizzled old general in that, which would mm. be which would be interesting. Forty two, which is a baseball biopic, um, Paranoia, a thriller with Gary Oldman again and Liam Hemsworth, which is kind of based on industrial espionage, that kind of thing. And apparently, he's in talks for Expendables three. And he uh, better not in be doing this research. <laughs> Nick Cage has already signed up to Expendables three. I'm so fucking excited. <laughs> and apparently Steven Seagal is also like bending to maybe doing it. It appears that um, the kind of grizzled old man role is going to go to either Clint Eastwood or Harrison Ford. And everyone thinks it'll be Harrison Ford because Clint Eastwood probably thinks it's a little bit below him. Uh, whereas Harrison Ford seems to have a sense of fun. Um, so yeah, yeah. It's the best thing about um, when I mentioned it like, on a really old podcast mm. about Cowboys and Aliens. You know, yes, it was his screen presence really that made the film as yeah have any kind of life to it. It would have been better with more Harrison Ford, but he was just playing Harrison Ford. But you know, yeah, 
it was great. It was just him with his own gravitas. For Again, yeah, it's that whole thing where he can be Harrison Ford on screen. And you think, oh, I like Harrison Ford on screen. I've seen him on screen lots. Mm. And he doesn't need to do anything different. You know, some people are incredible actors. He has realised, you know, he's worked within his limitations, I suppose. That sounds a bit harsh. Um, but he's never, he's never going to be a Pacino. Um, or a Philip Seymour Hoffman. You know, he's, he, he's Harrison Ford, fuck it. You know, he's, he will, he will be, pro- he will be professional. If you look at the amount of brilliant directors he's worked with, that's always a really good sign of um, how good, so, how well respected someone is within the industry. And you look at the directors he's worked with, uh, you know, Peter Weir, Ridley Scott, um, Roman Polanski, uh, as well as obviously Spielberg and Lucas. And you think, actually, yeah, he's, people like him, clearly. And, he, he, and that's the other thing. He genuinely seems like a really nice guy. Um, the interesting I, I, thing about him as well is, you know, going back to your point about he, he knows that he's Harrison Ford. Yeah. He's, he's very willing to turn down roles where he doesn't think that he will fit in it and he doesn't want it to be a Harrison Ford film. He turned down um, Schindler's List mm. because he said that people would just see it as a as a Harrison Ford thing and not actually as Oscar Schindler. Yeah. And he's turned down, if you know, I mean, the list of, of things that he's turned down is absolutely staggering, to be honest. Um, I, I mean, he turned down Jurassic Park. Um, he turned down uh, the lead for Who Framed Roger Rabbit. He turned down uh, JFK, The Untouchables. Wow. He, he, I mean, he turned down uh, Hunt for Red October originally, which um, one of the Baldwins did. Who did? Which one of the Baldwins did? I think it was Alec. Actually. Alec was in it. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and then ended up doing the sort of the, the two follow-ups anyway. Yeah, um, and then you know, he, I mean, he's he's very much a guy who knows what he does. He knows the sort of gravitas that he has. I mean, he's very, he must be very aware of how successful a, a film star he is. But he, it, the fact is that he has that integrity that he's willing to just go, do you know what? This this film isn't going to work if I do it. Yeah. Because, you know, I, it's going to be Harrison Ford and not the character that needs to be told. So I've got a lot of respect for, actually. You know, just yeah. down Schindler's list and say, you know what? That's, that's going to make it Harrison Ford and not Oscar Schindler. Yeah. Fair play. No, yeah. I genuinely think he—he he seems like a, um, he's a prominent Democrat. He's done a lot of work on um, climate change, and in America, that's very—that can be quite difficult. Um, he's massive do, conservationist, by the way. Yeah, he's yeah, dependent. hugely into conservation. Does a lot of work on climate change, and has done a lot of work on gun control as well, which is yeah, quite ironic considering my, my some of the roles he's had. My favourite Harrison Ford fact is, um, aside from the fact that he seems to get injured and needs surgery on pretty much everything that he does. Is his sister in EastEnders? No. no. This is the payback for you, Dusty. He has um, two species of insect named after him. Wow. Um, he also got asked to name a new species of butterfly, which he named after his daughter. Best birthday present ever. Oh. And again, he went, no, no, if you call it Harrison Ford as a butterfly, people will just think of me. <laughs> so, yeah, no. Just, it won't they are like butterfly won't Ford work as Harrison Ford, so name after my daughter. What integrity. What a man. He, no, so, he, he does genuinely have two named after him, like a, a species of ant or something. It's called uh, something, something Harrison Ford Eye. And a, a type of spider that's Harrison Ford Eye. It's all these Star Wars geeks who get into important scientific jobs, bless mm. them. Um, but yeah, so that's that's our first inductee mm. into we have, we, the we of Praise. We haven't yet mentioned, although he's mentioned it on any other podcast where he comes up, that he's probably got the two 
best ever improvised scenes in cinema. Yes. Mm. With yes. with the first one being Empire Strikes Back with where Princess Leia says to him, I love you, and he just turns back and says, I know. And apparently yeah. that was just practice. Yeah, it was it was he was meant to say I love you as well. Yeah. And it just didn't work. No one thought it sounded right and they tried all other different things. He just winged it and said, I know, and it works because it suits his yeah. character of just arrogant hero. And then the other one, of yeah. course, is the uh, the gunfight. There yeah. isn't a gunfight. The sword fight <laughs> versus a gun. Which, which he did yeah. because he had dysentery. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Wasn't it just not him that had dysentery, but everybody involved was had the shit? Yeah. And no one, <laughs> and no one could be bothered to film, that. no one could be bothered to film some intricate sword fight properly, so he just shot the guy instead. Yeah. Again, and um, it's it's one of cinema's best ever jokes. It's not even meant as an actual joke. It's so, it's just ah, oh, it's lovely. It's perfectly crafted mm. humour. So yeah, we love you, Harrison Ford, uh, and we think you fully deserve a place in our corridor of praise. He's not going to listen to this. Like he'll be playing golf with Bill Clinton. But yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well done. Do you know what? If if even anyone who's ever shook his hand listens to this, that would be such an honour. Sorry, I've I've had too much wine and painkillers now. Mm-hmm. Gone off on one. There we go. So that's it for this week's Fail Critic Podcast. What's next week, James? Uh, next week. Well, next week was going to be a... Um, our main review was going to be Seven Psychopaths, but we'll wait and see if anyone near en- <laughs> any of us is actually showing well, that. I can, I can go but, and see it, but I don't know if you want yeah. me to carry a main review. <laughs> that would be great, wouldn't it? Um, I, it I is showing near me. I think I will be able to see it. I think it's just Owen who's being just shafted me, miss by yeah. cinemas at the moment. But you never know, they might have it on by... It's due out on Wednesday. Yeah, uh, I think they update the things on Tuesdays, don't they, Cineworld? Yeah. So, yeah, it's yeah. a bit of time. It's worth having a look. But yeah, so hopefully our main review next week will be uh, Seven Psychopaths from the uh, writer-director who bought us in Bruges. And it it looks very funny and very excited by it. Who's in oh, it? It's got Christopher Walken in being a bad guy. Well, yeah, it's got Christopher Walken in it. It's got Sam Rockwell in. Um, it's got Woody Harrelson in. It's got Colin Farrell. Uh, and a dog. It, it, yeah, it looks great. The expensive dog. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so yes, thanks for listening. Uh, thanks for everyone for joining me and for everybody who's contributed to this podcast from Kevin McLeod to Harrison Ford. catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. 
uh, Ian McKellen and Patrick Stewart have signed on to reprise their roles, which got me very, very excited. It could be, it could end up being absolutely horrible. Could end up being X Men Three for God's sake. But I'm quite excited to see Ian McKellen somehow how they fit McKellen and Fassbender into the same character in the same film. That excites me. Okay, so the quote quiz now. I am second behind James, only uh, by behind Jerry, only by a point now. With James a couple of points behind me, and Owen still on one. I'm not going to expect Owen to get this one, but it fits in nicely with what we're doing. <laughs> it fits in nicely with what we're doing later. And the quote is: "You like me because I'm a scoundrel. There aren't enough scoundrels in your life." Jerry. Yes, Jerry. Uh, it's, uh, the Empire Strikes Back. It is indeed. Oh. <laughs> I, I, yeah, I, I knew it was that or Jedi, and I couldn't remember which one. And I was going to go for whichever one Jerry didn't say, if he was wrong. There you go. So, yes, you'll understand why later. Ooh, ooh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what we've been watching this week, then I'll start off. I got into, or attempted to get into a festive mood now we're in December, and watched Miracle on 34th Street, the newest version from 1994, with... Richard Attenborough, as it was on Channel 4, and I imagine it will be repeated somewhere, and it might even be on their on-demand service, so if you want to watch it, do it that way. Um, but I remember watching it when I was a child and didn't enjoy it. I found it a bit boring for a Christmas film. I found the kind of the same now. It is essentially, even though Richard Attenborough and some of the other actors put in good performances, it is fairly boring. I, I've not seen it for years either. It's, it's not, uh, it's not like you. I couldn't watch it when I was a child, really, because when it was ninety, I was nearly leaving school when it came out. Cause I'm such an old bastard. Um, but I do remember. I I do really like Richard Attenborough's performance in it. Um, he is, and that's, that's probably one thing that stands out for it for yeah, me. Actually, he, he is really good in it, but it doesn't really strike me as a, a very exciting film. And it doesn't really. It's not really like a kids' film. A lot of it's set in a courtroom. Which is you know, yeah, it's an odd one, isn't which, it? Which, which is kind of the which, like... which, which which is kind of the best bit of it, and the interest and yeah. and that actually makes for a kind of interesting idea for a film that this person who thinks he's Father Christmas or may well be Father Christmas has to prove that a Father Christmas is real and b that he is him, or else he has to go to prison for assaulting someone who wound him up and you know all this kind of stuff but that was a, that was a really interesting idea and I thought if they'd stretched that out more it could have been maybe not a kids film but a more interesting film I like the way they get to the conclusion of saying on the dollar bill you've got in God we trust so you know the American government the American people put all this on their money and they and they trust this as a kind of big thing but yet there's no explicit hard evidence of there being a God so mm-hmm. why can't we believe in Father Christmas too and Richard Attenborough's performance is quite good he's quite you know energetic, he's got some funny bits in it, he's quite a charming performance, but the rest of it it's just, like I said, it doesn't really work as a kids film or a Christmas film No, I can see that, okay, yeah I've, I've got no particular affinity with it, apart from, I do remember seeing it thinking, look, yeah, Attenborough was good but nothing else from the film really sticks in my mind, yeah, so I can't really argue with you, Steve. I spent the film just noticing other people, I've been watching a lot of Frasier early mornings on Channel 4 and then Daphne pops up in it and then I've been watching American Horror Story and 
Dylan McDermott pops up in this. So it was just sort of a an earlier version of things that I've been watching. Okay. Um, but yes, there are definitely better Christmas films around than that. Although, and uh, we'll come on to that in a future podcast. Um, mm. uh, uh, in a couple of weeks' time, or it might be our end of year show. We'll be doing our Christmas triple bill, so that's where we'll be able to talk about <laughs> our absolute favourite ones. Which is the Santa Claus starring Tim Allen, surely for everyone. <laughs> uh, jingle all the way, surely. I actually genuinely love Jingle All the Way. Don't <laughs> really? <fuck that>. <laughs> <laughs> I, gen- I think it's the last great film that Arnie made. <laughs> it's, it's, it's actually surprisingly not as bad as you would think it would be. No, I, I, I gen- it's it's one of those films that I, I hate the term guilty pleasures. Because if you find something pleasurable, why be guilty about it? You know, I, I don't like that term. Some but, of the some uh, of the I things that uh, your honour. <laughs> some of the things that Jerry finds pleasurable. I mean, <laughs> but but I do think it's a film that you can recognise all its flaws, but still have a lot of fun with it. And that's what I that's how I chose to see it. And it's got um Phil Hartman in it before he got killed. Mm as well so it's one of the few Phil Hartman got a, quite a big Phil Hartman performance he sounds exactly like Troy McClure all the way through it so there, there's, a, there's a bit of fun to be had with it and Elf is on Channel 4 next week so no doubt someone will be talking about that yeah I, I watched that this week but that's not what I'm going to talk about today. what are you going to talk about today okay I'm going to try and rattle through them in the short time I've got um, very very quickly uh, I've been prepping prepping for the 12 Films of Christmas articles that myself and Kate will be delivering for the site in the 12 days leading up to Christmas. So I have watched Die Hard. I've watched Muppet Christmas Carol today. I've also watched National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation and Elf just in the last few days, getting ready for that. Um, uh, I watched The Grey earlier today, the Liam Neeson Wolf Puncher film uh, earlier this year, which I actually really enjoyed. Very stark, very bleak. Uh, can't believe it's from the same director who did the horrendous A-Team film. But I, I really, really enjoyed it as a... I thought it was meant to be taken with wolves, but it's far more mature than that. Um, it's a lot more about character than so it is So it's a cross between Taken and Dances with Wolves, which is where you get Taken with Wolves. <laughs> Yes, yes, taken by wolves. That's mm. uh, that's that. That's not nice. Mm. Um, uh, stick, but, stick to stick around and watch these sort of end credits few seconds that everyone always says that you should watch. Oh God, no, I didn't. No, I turned it okay. off. Okay, it's on YouTube. I'm not going to oh. tell you what it is. Just just thought you might have missed it because I Thank missed you. it the first time as well. Oh, cool. I'll I'll go back and watch that before I go to bed tonight. And I, I need to need to have completion there. <laughs> um, but yeah, the main films I do want to talk about this week are three films I saw about saw in the cinema. Um, first, very quickly, is The Master. I remember it being one of Jerry's top picks for the winter, and I think we all agreed that it looked very, very promising. Uh, Joaquin Phoenix, Philip Seymour Hoffman, basically. Um, Joaquin Phoenix plays a an able seaman who's been discharged from the army. Uh, well, the navy, not the army. Um, and he's got an alcohol problem. He's some kind of like alcoholic alchemist um he seems to mix up potions from all sorts of household chemicals lying around which is quite interesting actually but he falls under the the spell and the wing of philip seymour hoffman playing someone called lancaster dodds who is the master of um what is essentially a cult called the cause all based on scientology i kind of wish they'd just done the story of scientology rather than coming up with this bit of a cop-out 
way around it where they're not going to get sued or get loads of hassle well, you, from yeah, them. Yeah, you know what happens when you criticise Scientology. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah. No, they go I've, nuts. I've, I've seen that. Um, but I, I, I think this feels just a bit like a bit of a cop-out, to be honest. Um, but there is a full review of it and my thoughts of it on uh, failcritics.com. But what I would say is two fantastic performances. Um Incredible at times, actually, from Phoenix and from Hoffman. Um, brilliant soundtrack from Radiohead's Johnny Greenwood. It is beautifully shot, as you would expect a Paul Thomas Anderson film to be, and it is boring as hell. I was so surprised. I was so bored by the end of it. It doesn't go anywhere. The, none of the characters go on uh, a journey, either internally or externally. Um, and at, at one point, actually... There appeared to be a 20-minute training montage in the middle of it. Um, I don't think Paul Thomas Anderson knew what he was doing. It, it actually, you looked at it, it's like, oh no, this is a training montage. Why isn't any one singing "You're the best"? Hurrah! <laughs> that would have livened it up for me. Um, so yeah, the master. Loads of people love it. I, I, it just bored me. I can't help it. Um, didn't make me as angry though as "Beasts of the Southern Wild," which I saw this week, which was uh, it. it premiered at Sundance. Um, it won Best Cinematography at Cannes. Basically, it's the story of uh, a young girl, six-year-old girl called Hush Puppy, and she lives in the floodplains and the swamps outside the New Orleans Levee flood defence system. Um, again, review of this is up on failcritics.com. It's meant to be magic realism. Uh, uh, this just made me hugely angry because it was taking an almost patronising view of oh, the wisdom of these people who live outside the levy, are oh, they the outsiders? Oh, look, look, they have holidays all the time. Yes, yeah, because they haven't got any jobs. Yeah, you know, there's nothing magical about these people. Um, there, there's what you don't see because you're looking at it through the eyes of a six-year-old is that this community is probably beset with alcoholism, uh, domestic violence, sexual abuse, and people dying by the age of thirty odd. This isn't a wonderful mystical place. These people. And, and, you know, these people can make their own choices, but there's a father there with a six-year-old daughter, and we're meant to think that her life is best there. And a uh, big flood comes, basically. Uh, I think it, it's meant to be like the New Orleans, uh, the Hurricane Katrina. And these people are seen being forcibly removed from their homes. It's like, no, they're being rescued. Um, and then they break out of the hospital. It's like, no, you're denying medical treatment to you. It just made me so angry. Um, so... Yeah, my full reasons for that are up on failcritics.com. But one I haven't had a chance to write a review of, and that's one I just want to spend the last minute or so talking about, is Room 237, which I know, Owen, you were going to put in your winter picks, but you weren't sure when it was going to get a national yeah. release. Yeah, right. Yeah. Um, yeah, basically, documentary focusing on nine different theorists and their views on the hidden meanings, um, the hidden agenda of Stanley Kubrick's The Shining. It's essentially a film about obsessives, obsessing over a film about obsession made by a famously obsessive filmmaker, which is lovely. They wraps it all up in a nice big meta parcel with a bow. <laughs> um it's really interesting. It is constructed entirely from uh, voiceovers and archive footage. There's a few like graph graphic flourishes, but um, what I really liked about it is a you get to see loads of The Shining, which is great because The Shining's a fantastic film. But loads of the people's voiceovers are illustrated by clips from other Kubrick films, so that was quite fun being able to watch little bits of that. And at one point in Eyes Wide Shut, Tom Cruise goes into a cinema and goes to see The Shining, so that yeah. like all fitted in, and they used footage for that as well so that was really nice um 
basically, uh, you, after a while, you get the feeling that the director is not focusing on the theories, but focusing on the theorists themselves. Um, and it does become a film about their obsessions. Some of them do not cover themselves in glory, particularly. And I think the editor, I think editor director could have cut out a few of them who barely don't know what they barely know what point they're making. So I don't know what we're meant to get from them. Uh, and they generally come across as kind of crackpots, a few of them. Uh, so, yeah, there's at least 20 minutes too much of people going, um, uh, yeah, well, I kind of meant that. That's annoying. Um, but the great thing about this film is we know that Kubrick was an obsessive director. And when they point out these inconsistencies or story decisions or apparent continuity errors, we, you are thinking... Well, Kubrick wouldn't have allowed that to happen, so he must have done. Oh, maybe they've got a point. And there's a few strands and a few theories where you get where you do end up thinking actually they may have a point. My favourite one is um, that the moon landing footage was faked. The person didn't uh, argue that we went to the moon. They just said that the the footage was faked, and they reckon they've got evidence that it was all front screen projection, um, and that The Shining is Kubrick's confession that he um, filmed the moon landing. Um, and there's loads of little bits where they think that's what it's about. You know, at one point, the kid's wearing an Apollo 11 jumper. Um, that's not the most... That's one of the more obvious ones. But the fact that Room 237 in the film, in the in the original Stephen King book, it was Room 217, I believe, uh, and 237, the moon is 237,000 miles from the Earth and things like that. <laughs> What's great is you watch and go, each of these nine theories, little bits of them stand up, but they can't all stand up. And that's kind of where that's, the that's film That's what I never get on. about conspiracy theories. If you were going to fake the moon landings, you wouldn't put subtle hints to it in films for people to spot. Oh, no, but this is apparently because um, Kubrick was guilty about it. He wanted to tell someone. Um, and they do they do point out Kubrick had an IQ of 200, which I didn't know before this, actually. Which is uh, Basically, this is the... They were saying this is the uh, film of a bored filmmaker. He'd done everything he wanted to do, so he was going to work out how he could write a confession that only the cleverest people would ever be able to spot in years after his death, that kind of thing. Um, but as a as a documentary on film, it was really, really interesting. I really enjoyed it. Um, and it did, bits of it did make me think, well, there might be something to that. There was a theory that it's about the, uh, there's also a few theories about it. it's about the uh, Nazi extermination of the Jews or the um, the US settlers extermination of the Native American peoples. But though it was really, really interesting. I enjoyed it. Okay. And um, Owen, what have you viewed in the last seven days? Uh, it's the first time in a absolutely ages where I've not actually watched that many films. I watched two in about a week, um, which is pretty low for me. But um, yeah, the first one I want to talk about is a film I went to see earlier today in the cinema. Um, so it's sort of still still out and it's it's a bit more widely available than The Master. I really wanted to see The Master, but it's not showing anywhere near me, which mm. is just really frustrating. And it looks like Seven Psychopaths, which is another one I want to see, isn't showing anywhere near me either. And also Sightseers. I'm absolutely fuming. It's, it's one of the biggest British films of the year. It's got rave reviews everywhere. Um, and you know, I live in Leicester, which is, someone told me on Twitter, the 10th biggest city in the country. And not a single one of my three big chains is showing Sightseers. And my usually very reliable local arts cinema isn't showing it until the end of the month. 
what am I meant to do? It's disgusting. Empire, Empire Cinemas <laughs> in Pool, coincidentally, is showing Sightseers, which is very unusual for them, because they're usually rubbish oh. at showing films that might not be so popular. Um, yeah, well, you should... Have you seen the trailer? Has everyone seen the trailer? Uh, I saw the yeah, trailer for no. The Master, and it was the best bit of my day. Uh, the trailer mm-hmm. was amazing. I'm so excited for this film. You should definitely go see it, Steve, if you can. Well, I've got lots of films now that to go and see. I might have to do a double header in the cinema this week. Because, oh, that because it's all Because it's also Life of Pi that we were going to review as a main review, mm. but we're not now. Yeah. But need to watch that and Seven Psychopaths as well, so I might spend yeah. a lot of time in the cinema in the next week. Sounds heavenly. On my own, <laughs> without anyone annoying me. I'm going to sit out. That's not out until like mid-December, is it? Uh, Life of Pi, yeah. It's December. Uh, I think it's 20-something. 20 20 21st. It just yeah, came up saying it was Hobbit available to watch. I was going to say, they put it out the week after The Hobbit, yeah. didn't they? Yeah. yeah. I'm just hoping anyway. my back can hold up to cinema seating this week. That's my main issue. But anyway, I'm James moaning old. again. Yeah, I'm old. <laughs> I've done my back. <laughs> anyway, Owen. Anyway. You went well, to see a film. Yes, I went to see a film. Uh, I went to see Rise of the Guardians. You mean tell me you didn't go to see Nativity 2 Danger in the Manger, Owen? I didn't, no. No, I didn't. Okay. I didn't see that i didn't go to see uh gambit which looked awful and from the sounds of it, it was also getting poor reviews um yeah cohen brothers can't do remakes apparently not um so yeah i went to see a kid's film instead which i kind of was looking forward to a little bit i thought it would be just a bit of fun you know it's quite an easy to watch film quite short i hadn't been to the cinema in a few weeks so i was quite looking forward to it i think its main problem is that it is literally just a kid's film i mean it, there isn't much humor there for adults it's the pg certificate and um, but the story the development of all the characters it, you know the kind of peril that they're in and it is very mild peril it's just <laughs> my favorite kind <laughs> yeah it's very, but it's yeah i mean it's just for, for young kids i mean i would have assumed that, that um it might have something a bit... Because it's DreamWorks. I do quite like some of the DreamWorks films. I know they get a bit of uh, stick for not being Pixar occasionally. Um, but yeah, but I think recently they've been good. Um, How to Train Your Dragon, I was really, really... How to Train good. Your Dragon's very good, yeah. yeah. And, you know, that's adapted from a kid's story. This is adapted from a kid's book as well. Um, so I think they are going to make a series out of it, just like How to Train Your Dragon. I think they've stumbled onto another moneymaker, but... Um, yeah, so anyway, the, the plot of the story is basically, it's basically that there are some guardians and they're all the kinds of things that kids think, uh, uh, you know, believe in, but actually aren't real. Sorry to spoil that for anyone who's <laughs> young enough to still believe in. There's, you know, Santa, Easter Bunny, Tooth Fairy, they have the Sandman in there. But the main character is Jack. Steve's Bob. distraught right now, you know that, don't you? <laughs> Steve's sorry. just, you've rocked his world. <laughs> Can't handle this. <laughs> um. But, yeah, I mean, they're, they're interesting characters. What I thought was um, actually the best thing about it, well, there was two two of the best things about the characters. One is the voice acting, because there were a few people in there. I, could, I couldn't quite place it. I didn't go into the film what, uh, knowing who was behind some of the voices. So mm. one of them's really obvious. The Easter Bunny is... Uh, the characters are slightly different to their traditional um, sort of uh, interpretation. So the Easter Bunny, for example, is this Australian giant six-foot rabbit who throws a boomerang. Uh, and he's voiced by... Who else would he be voiced by but Hugh Jackman? Yeah. So, yeah, obviously. But then there's things like North, who's basically... He, he is Santa. And he's, mm. he's got this Russian accent or this kind of, like, Eastern European accent. And he's voiced by, like, Alec Baldwin, 
which when I was oh. listening, I had absolutely no idea. It wasn't until afterwards when the credits were rolling and I was trying to see, uh, actually, I was trying to see who plays the, the boogeyman, who's the villain in this pitch black. Because so all the way through, I thought, I really know that voice. I think it's Tom Hiddleston. Turns out it was Jude Law. Who did oh. I? Yeah. But um, it was uh, Alec Baldwin playing this this really Russian accented Santa, which was just great. I just had no idea. He puts on a really good performance. Um, and he's quite funny in it as well. So that was quite good. But the, the, the sort of most amazing thing with the characters is the character of the Sandman. So I don't know whether you sort of remember when Spider-Man 3 came out. And mm. most of the praise, possibly the only praise that it would receive from anyone, was the, the use of the CGI with Sandman as the villain. Yeah. People saying it's incredible, you know, technology to do this is just fantastic and it's going to change sort of CGI films. In, in this, there is the character Sandman who is made out of sand. He creates things out of sand. The boogeyman steals his sort of power and he creates all these nightmares out of sand and stuff. And it just looks fantastic. I, I mean, it's that. really incredible to look at. Um, because it's so, because it's a kids' film as well. Everything's so bright, everything's so sharp. The colours are really sort of contrasting with each other, and it's it's this kind of bright gold and orange, and it's just uh, yeah, absolutely fantastic. It's worth seeing, even if you just watch like a trailer, just to see that bit because it's. Um, in fact, I think that that DreamWorks did individual videos, short videos on the internet for each character. So if you watch the Sandman's one, you'll see what mm-hmm. I mean. It's just utterly amazing. I was mesmerised by it. Speed Racer or this? I mean, Speed Racer. Yeah, <laughs> I would probably say Speed Racer is. It kind of mixes the animation with live action. This is just animation, so it's a bit unfair. Uh, You've been talking about how visually stunning it was. It know? was visually, yeah. It's a tough one. I think possibly um, as a whole, probably Speed Racer. If I was put on the spot, I'd say Speed Racer. But, you know, there's been a few sort of animated films that have looked great this year. Brave, I thought the hair of the main character was just mm. incredible. I was just about to say, was it better than Brave, though? It's kind of, a, it's it's tough to rank them against each other because they're doing different things. They're using different kinds of technology, I think, because the sand is is using something that was created because of Spider-Man 3. So it's in, it's amazing to see how it's developed. And it does look, oh, yeah, it's tough. I don't know which one. Paranorman was great as well, but that was sort of stop motion. Yeah, Paranorman is one of my favourite films this year, actually. The more I think about it, I absolutely loved Paranorman. Yeah. So, you know, it's a good year for animated films so far, I think. Because this is, although it's a kid's film, I did quite like it. Um, It is, I can't really get over him, which it is a kid's film, though. You know, mm-hmm. there were kids who were in the cinema, really young kids, who just loved it. It's kind of film where, you know, you've got like a five or six-year-old sitting next to you or behind you. And all you can hear is them talking over the film and saying to their parents, you know, is this, is this what's happening? But you don't mind because that's the audience for it. It is for these, these kids. I thought it might have been a bit more mature. You'd sort of sneak some more clever jokes into it like Pixar do with the very best kind of Disney mm. film. But it, yeah, it doesn't really. It just, it stays at a level for young kids and it moves it along at sort of their kind of pace. You know exactly where it's going. You know that. If people die, they're not going to die. You know, if you know the boogeyman's doing something bad, he's going to get his comeuppance. You know, it is very basic mm-hmm. story. Um, but I do quite like the dynamic of the characters, and I do like the the sort of style of it. Uh, Jack Frost actually is um, a pretty interesting character because he's the central the central character. To it. They've made him kind of just like a uh, like a cheeky kid. 
basically. Mm. Um, you know, he's a bit naughty, a bit mischievous. Um, so he's the kind of character that young kids are really gonna gonna like. You know, plays a few pranks on people, but it's always very fun, very jolly. And he has his dilemma in the middle of the film where, oh, is he is he going to actually join the, the side of the guardians? Is he going to become one of these guardians and protect the, the kids from from the evil of the you know of pitch black? Or is he actually going to side with him? And it's all very obvious if you know if you've seen films. If you're five or six, <laughs> it might be a bit more confusing. But um, so yeah, I mean, it was good. The animation was great. Um, but yeah, the humour is what, what lets it down. I think you mentioned that you watched Despicable Me, James. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah, that's another film that I watched this week. There you go. Which yeah. I liked. I really enjoyed, actually, yeah. Quite funny. But the humour, yeah. you know with Despicable Me, you've got the little yellow things. I can't yeah. Uh, minions. The minions, it's, yes. Minions, yeah. <laughs> in in this, it's kind of thought, well, actually, those minions, people really like those minions. So. Yeah. I'm going to put them in this film as well. But every character is going to have their own minions. So Santa's got elves, these tiny little elves, which are basically minions from Despicable Me. Right. They're just exact. They're just basically carbon copies mm. of Anchor of Humor, um, but not as good. You've got the Tooth Fairy, who's got her little fairy things, the little hummingbird fairies or whatever. Also doing similar kinds of humor, and it's just really, it's not not original or not fresh enough to be. Mm. Is it forced though? A little bit. Some of the, some of the stuff with the elves, and there's a bit with the, the Easter Bunny and they're painting eggs, and it is quite funny. But you just think, well, it's not really original. They have just thought, well, kids liked those in Despicable Me, so we'll put more of it in this, even though it's kind of Universal's film. But saying, but saying that, will will kids care? No. I mean, you're, ta- you're you're talking about it as like the point of view of a cynical, miserable old man. So. Yeah, like me. Yeah, well, <laughs> talking to cynical, miserable old men who are an audience of presumably cynical, miserable people who are listening to listening to us being cynical and miserable. Yeah, it's it's not really going to make you laugh out loud. But kids loved it. I mean, they were just laughing their heads off at scenes. And there's an in joke with one of the Yetis in it who's making toys for Santa, and that's quite funny. Um, but yeah, I wouldn't really go into it expecting big belly laughs through it. It's a good kids film. I haven't got kids to tag it with me, but I'm sure they would have liked it as well. Um, yeah, it's 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 all right. It's quite good. Quite right, good there you go. It's, if, if, it's, if, if like it's not a... as bad as it's getting. It's getting a bit picking <laughs> from some people. It's not that bad. But, yeah. okay. There you go. If, like Owen, you've got imaginary children, that is a great film to see. <laughs> and pretend to take them with you. Hmm. Buy free tickets. It's only one of you. They won't look at you strange, honestly. He's got. You, you know when people have those fake dog leads. Yeah. <laughs> Do you reckon Owen's got one of those, like a, a, a child harness, but like one of those fake dog leads? <laughs> full on push chair. I've wheeled just a full on push chair into the cinema. Nice. The oil. I just put beers in. It. <laughs> <laughs> he turns up to the Saturday morning uh, baby showings. You know where like he can just make as much noise as he wants. I've been really tempted to take mine to one of those. I, I remember um, my Odeon does a newbies thing on a Wednesday morning, and the, that was I was going to go and see uh, what was that terrible Tom Hardy film earlier this year? This means war because they don't show kid films in them. That's, that's the really weird thing. They show a lot of films for parents, but turn the lights up and let kids scream about. It. I thought that would be the best way to watch This Means War, actually. Just having loads of kids running around screaming, but it didn't work out. But I keep meaning to go to one; they look fun. There we go. J- 
Jerry, what have you just watched very, this? Oh. Before Jerry says this thing, can I just very quickly talk about Searching for Sugar Man, which I watched this week as well? Um, documentary. I, if you've been on the site in July, I think it was posted. Yeah. Jim Hornsey posted a, a secret screenings review where he went to see a film and it turned out to be Searching for Sugar Man. It's a documentary about a guy called Rodriguez who sold less than about 100 records in America in the sort of 70s, 60s, 70s, faded out. Nobody'd heard of him, didn't make it anywhere. But in South Africa, he was just bigger than Elvis. He'd sold hundreds of thousands of records. It's such, a, you know, they had no idea what happened to him. All they knew was his name and his picture that was on the front of the album sleeve. And he basically inspired a revolution against the party. So it's just this incredible story of this guy who's, they don't know anything about, he might be dead, the rumours are he committed suicide, um, and how this sort of revolution happened because of him. So if you get a chance to watch it, it's out on DVD next month. It's incredible. And definitely read Jim Shaughnessy's uh, review, mm. unless you yeah. want to avoid spoilers. It's very spoiler-laden, but quite a brilliant write-up. But I just yeah. wanted to put that out there. Cause it was the more discerning viewers may have uh, caught him being interviewed on Andrew Marr last weekend, I think it was. Right. Okay. Jim Shaughnessy. Amazing. Right. Yeah. Move on. Wishes. <laughs> 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 um, as, as if any of no. us watch something with Andrew Marr on it. Any of the listeners? They're all kids <laughs> and foreign. I'll just tell <laughs> the, the, the last demographics kick. There, yeah. I'll just yeah. say they're too lowbrow to watch something with Andrew yeah, Marr. Yeah. On yeah. It. Steve goes in with the. Steve finishes them off. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, sorry, I'm finished. I'm taking up loads of time already. Yes, yeah, so, Jerry, what have you watched this week? Well, mine won't be too time-consuming, actually. I've spent most of my time re-watching Game of Thrones um, because nice. my my better half has finally uh, come round to realising that Game of Thrones is awesome. Mm-hmm. I've convinced her to watch it, so we've spent 10 hours this week watching the entirety of the first series. Nice. And two hours this afternoon watching... Uh, the start of the second series. Oh, I need to watch the second series. I've not watched it yet. Oh, it's brilliant. It's even better. Second oh, series is even better. Yeah. No, well, I haven't seen any of the second series, so I'm quite excited now because I've sort of gone through the ones I've seen and got a lot of pleasure out of sort of knowing the characters and knowing some nice twists, but now it's all exciting and new. What I have seen film-wise uh, that I want to talk about is uh, Fast Five. I finally got around to watching Fast Five. Um, okay. I mean, I didn't go into it expecting a great deal. I'm not going to lie. It's, it's, it's not a highbrow film. It's not something that I expect to really move me or do innovative things. It's just uh, basically a shitty action film full of really stupid, insane stunts that make no sense and the storyline is thinly holding it together. That's the kind of thing that I was, you know, I was expecting, mm. and that's pretty much what I got, but it, it did it very well. Mm. You know, is stuff- this one with The Rock in it? Is, it is, is Dwayne Johnson. Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm in. Okay, <laughs> right ahead. Most ridiculous character. I mean, ugh. just basically, he's a he's he plays a government agent trying to track down um, Vin Diesel and what's he called? Paul Walker is that his name? That's him. Yeah. All the rest of them um, through uh, Rio de Janeiro. Basically, that's where they've hidden away, and the yeah. rock's like some American cracking agent who goes to take him down, and is literally he apparently is able to just go around shooting people with his team of men with massive automatic weapons. They just just <laughs> shoot as many people as they want. It doesn't matter. And, you know, there's there's some quite uh, sort of 
uh, questionable things in it, like the way he sort of is very dismissive of the foreign police, and the, you know they're very much meant to be the bumbling foreign police. You know, but overall, very enjoyable, really enjoyable film. Even Vin Diesel's not that bad in it, which is an achievement, I think, for the director. I think he's done well there. Yeah. Um, you know, it's got the rock in it kicking ass. The rock is huge these days, by the way. Absolutely. Oh no, um, Jesus. Um. Because they've been filming the new one in UK, haven't they? They've yeah. just fi- they've just wrapped Fast Six or whatever they're going to call it. I don't know. Yeah, well, that was actually what what got me round to finally watching it because I followed The Rock on Twitter and he was talking about being in Liverpool. I was like, oh, should probably watch the last one. Oh, Jerry, you part of Team Bring It? <laughs> Fortunately not. <laughs> I wish. But uh, okay. It's £3.75 on Amazon. I think I might buy it. <laughs> I'm excited. Did everybody see The Rock's Halloween costume, by the way? Just uh, as an aside to finish this I, I was going to mention it. It's fantastic. No, I didn't see it. What was it? <laughs> the Rock basically painted himself green and went as the Hulk. Yes. Because he's just so enormous. He actually looks like the Incredible Hulk. So he just painted yes. himself green and put a wig on. That is awesome, actually. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to look for that. And he genuinely looks like the Hulk as well. It's amazing. I do really? love The Rock. Yeah. I do love him so much. If you like The Rock, if you like sort of that kind of film, you know, where it's it's, it's very much, a, it knows what it is. It's not trying to be anything better than it than it is, but what it does, it does very well. There's some very impressive visual stunts. Storyline is not going to excite you or engage you too much. A lot of it's utterly ludicrous. Speaking of ludicrous, he's in it. He's he's all right. You know, it's a bit of an ensemble <laughs> cast. And it, it, and it, it's, it's, it's decent. It's a good watch. It's a, it's surprisingly long. I think it was two and a bit hours, actually. What? <laughs> yeah, I couldn't believe that. It was, like, it was literally, I think it's two and a half hours. Jesus Christ. But it's very much, if you want to watch a mindless film, it's, it's a good one. You know what I mean? Yeah. Particularly if you if you get it, you know, in, in Blu-ray, it's, it's very visually... I've actually heard that striking. from a few other people, kind of not critics, but in film blogging world. A few people who've gone, that actually is good fun. And yeah, so, yeah, give it a fun. go. It's yeah. not like the later, sort of Fast and the Furious, the early ones. The first mm. two, I think, particularly, were enjoyable films. They were very good. Well, um, I, I've never been, it's, it's a franchise that has never interested because I'm not a massive fan of cars and I assumed you need, it's like I hate Top Gear. Okay. So, and that's, I, that's probably lost us some more listeners or something. I fucking hate Top Gear. But I, I hate, I'm just not into cars. I drive a Micra. <laughs> Which by extension means I'm not into cars. They, uh, the, the cars are a bit more of a tenuous link in this one, actually. Okay. Oh, that sounds good. It's very much an action film, which has a lot of car chases, and they don't really show the car races, which is what the first yeah are about. And they've moved away from that, and it's generally just using those characters in that world to base a, a film off. There is a bit of, of this sort of underground car racing thing, but it's not actually filming the car racing. They, they go to like the scene, the underground bit, and there's yeah. sort of interactions there and things, and then it'll just cut to them coming back with a car, you know, that kind okay. of thing. Cool. So it was, it's very much a, a sort of sideways step, but still using the same thing. But it's more of a, a general action film. It's not like you don't need to love the original Fast and Furious films to like this film. It's just an enjoyable watch. Could you go into it without watching all of the previous four? Because I've seen the first one, but I had no desire to watch any of the others. But I've heard a lot of people saying this one's actually quite a good past the time action film. Yeah, I mean, I haven't seen the Tokyo Drift one because, frankly, okay. it's terrible. Mm-hmm. Um, but I've seen the Just first... read them on Wikipedia, Owen. Just read, yeah. read up the plots on Wikipedia. Plots, that's what I do. The plots are <laughs> that's what we all do fascinately intricate, delicate, <laughs> you know. 
Michelle yeah. Panic, who wasn't competing to fucking film this thing. I mean, it's not it's not a tall thriller. It's very bog standard. Yeah. But you can you can figure it out. I would imagine you don't really need to even read Wikipedia. You can figure out exactly what's going on, it's, and you can see exactly how ludicrous it is, is as it, well. Is it basically cars, guns, the rock, and tits? Yeah, yeah here we go. More, more guns Steve has also just built this film. <laughs> no, I can't stand them. I think they're awful. <laughs> I mean, what's the rock though? It's the rock. Yeah, I mean, you could count on your hand the number of bad action films he's been in. Folks, mm. you could count on the other hand how many good ones he's been in there. Yeah, yeah. No, I, he's one of those people that, to me, is great in even in a terrible film. Uh, he's got really good screen presence. I can watch him in anything, despite the rest of the film being absolutely abominable. Right then, like sh- the cage. Shall we yeah. move? <laughs> shall we move on to our Hall of Fame? And, yeah. yeah. Speaking of people with stage presence, mm. oh yes, <laughs> nice, nice link in there, Jerry. Yeah. Funny you should mention that. Mm. Uh, so, James, this this was. I can't remember whose idea it was, but you're in charge. It was, it was someone's <laughs> idea to rob it from someone else. Yeah, it was mine. <laughs> Solely mine. No one has ever done a Hall of Fame on any show. No. It's, uh, it's no. a new concept, Jerry. So why don't you explain to us what a Hall of Fame is? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's more a corridor of fame, really. I think James referred to it as. Yeah. More got, a, yeah, but I've written a little speech and everything. We we can't call it a, a hall of fame. It's it's too sort of trademarked and everything. It's a it's a corridor of praise. Oh, that's nice. Oh, that's yeah. good. I like it. Mm. Okay, I'll just hang on, search and replace on my speech. <laughs> Job done. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Do you want me to introduce it then, Steve? Yes. Okay, so, uh, yeah, Corridor of Praise, we go, I like that. Um, yes, so, I'd like to welcome you all, all of you listeners, to the first ever Fail Critics Corridor of Praise induction. Our Corridor of Praise has been set up to honour the work of those legends of the movie world who have never even sought the acceptance of the Academy, who have been shunned by those bestowers of baubles. The rules for the membership of the Corridor of Praise are simple. People can be nominated by anyone who listens to the podcast or reads the uh, Fail Critics website, but nominations must be accepted by all four of us wise men of the podcast, and any of us can veto a nomination. Anyone nominated must also have a career spanning at least 20 years and have not won an Oscar for their primary work. As with everything that we do, these rules can be broken, though. Uh, so tonight, Which is why we're going to bend them to get Jason Statham in at some point. Yes, <laughs> yeah, and 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 Nick Cage has won an Oscar, but he should be in here as well. But anyway, we'll, um, <laughs> he won an Oscar, Nick Cage. Yeah, uh, for leaving Las Vegas. Very early. I on had no idea. Yeah, okay. there you go, Oscar winner Nick Cage. Which was why um, he loses his shit all the time now. It's all <laughs> downhill. Yeah. yeah. Um. Yes, tonight we are we are honouring the first recipient of our uh, recorded adoration. I am a huge fan, and I'm really pleased to be the person handing this award in a very metaphorical sense to him. Uh, he has a career spanning six decades. His films have grossed over $6 billion worldwide, and at one point, four of the top six grossing films of all time featured him. 
1997, Empire Magazine named him as their number one movie star of all time. Didn't put him in any kind of Hall of Fame or anything, though. Uh, and as well as the iconic roles he's known for that we will no doubt discuss shortly, he's appeared in films as diverse as What Lies Beneath, Working Girl, and The Fugitive. Of course, I'm talking about the one, the only... Jack Ryan, Indiana Jones, Han Solo himself, Harrison Ford. Hooray! Applause. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, Harrison Ford's our first choice. And I, there, there, there were a few people that we mentioned that uh, when we were discussing who we would have as our, our first ever inductee. Um, but I, although they were also very, very good, solid nominations, I can't think of anyone really better. Uh, especially considering some of the conversations we've been having recently, than Harrison Ford. Owen can. Oh, Owen can, yeah. Owen can think of better cops than John McClane, though, so... Yeah. Whatever. <laughs> um, no Sidney Poitier. <laughs> <laughs> um, or Denzel so yeah. Washington. <laughs> yeah. Har- yeah, Harrison Ford. Um, fucking legend. Um, and what I love is, early on in his career acting failing so he became a professional carpenter um and it was and that's he was hired to build cabinets at george lucas's house who then put him in american graffiti it's a proper american dream story mm. oh, i really like it it's and then about apparently... what your dad would say as well learn yeah. a trade learn a trade exactly and that's what he 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 was an actor. Then he learned how to be a carpenter to support his wife and kids. Uh, it's really nice. And um, yeah, and apparently Francis Ford Coppola hired him to expand his office and ended up giving him roles in The Conversation and Apocalypse Now as well. Uh, and it's really weird that... Makes you wonder what he was doing right now. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it was like knocking something up and doing Shakespeare's soliloquies or something, just like trying to catch the something. eye. <laughs> oh, that! No, that was uh, that was the uh, opinion of Owen uh, <laughs> of failed yes. critics. Owen, who has some thoughts? At O'Hughes eighty six on Twitter. Yeah. Um. I'll send the abuse. So I can take it. Was, yes. So yes. Well, there's, there's there's a bit I liked reading up about him about his early career that he was walking along, um, yeah, you know, the Hollywood. Walk of Fame, and he saw a he saw a tile or whatever they call them with Harrison Ford already on it before he'd really become famous because it was a silent film actor also called Harrison Ford. Yeah, that's really not, uh, that's and yeah for one of his films he was Harrison J Ford. Yeah, the J just to separate him from that other like, actor. like Homer J Simpson. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah that. It's one of those. Oh wow, what a story! You know, oh, I've already seen my name as a, a star on the. Uh, what do they call it? It's, that's not a Hall of Fame, is it? That's no, a Walk of Fame. Mm. Um, so no, no, I think that's that's awesome. Um, and yeah, I love that. It, like his early roles just came about via these weird, stupid ways. Or, or his, like early, his early big roles. His his early, early he big was in roles, other yeah. films that you know. He was in. Yeah, he had very minor roles in a lot of things, and that's what kind of persuaded him to take up a trade as, as Jerry said learn a trade um, in yeah, and he built his own house as well so that makes him yeah. times more awesome and he flies uh, like so many he flies shitloads of planes as well which is just cool um, he was also a stagehand for the doors yes so yeah yeah I oh know what a life um, 
I, and I love that um, he actually wanted to kill Han Solo off at the end of uh, both Star Wars sequels because he thought it would give the film a bottom. He was really, uh, you know, a bit of integrity there. Um, and he only got the Indiana Jones part after George Lucas's first choice of Tom Selleck didn't work out. That's just a yeah, that's How many films has Tom Selleck been the first choice for? And it's just been the best decision ever not to give him the, the role. <laughs> and also just really unlucky for him. He's like the anti-Ford. He, he's yeah. he, he's been there for all these parts, and then ended up not getting them and doing Three Men and the Baby and stuff like that. Or, or maybe the secret to doing a really good film is to look at Tom Selleck's schedule, cast mm-hmm. him in it, but realise he won't actually be able to do it, and so yeah. he won't, you know. And then you'll have to pick someone else. But initially, pick Tom Selleck, and then the films are hit. That's that's really important, I think, yeah. It was that... really important Indiana, Indiana Jones didn't have a moustache, so... Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's, yeah have you seen the, the kind of mocked-up photos? It just looks so weird. <laughs> it just looks weird. <laughs> it's horrible. <laughs> um, but, you know, obviously we've spoken about Star Wars, uh, Star Wars loads on here, but, you know, Ford is one of the... He is probably the most... Um, engaging screen presence of every anyone in those films you know steve said before that uh you know kids want to be luke skywalker as you grow up you want to be uh han solo i think he is he is the magnetism in those films and he he's the driving force he's the, of those he's films. the cool yeah. part of the film essentially yeah. mm. Mm. definitely um and it's you know, and then he went on into Indiana Jones. Indiana Jones is a fantastic character, but again, it's yeah, you know, we've spoken about it on here before. Some people are amazing actors. Uh, Harrison Ford is a movie star. He doesn't. He's recognisable in pretty much every film he does, and you kind of know what you're going to get. He's never going to surprise you, but you like watching him, and as an audience member, you root for him automatically, and you like him. Because he is a charismatic, engaging screen character. Would would anyone else agree? No, oh, definitely. Yeah. I think. I mean, you can't think of Indiana Jones without, you know, what he brings to that role. He's such an iconic character, and 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 he just draws that out and rounds it out as as well written as that can be. Yeah, it's him that makes it so great. Do you know what I mean? I mean, yeah, they can't have written in just how much of a brilliant character. Harrison Ford makes Indiana Jones. No, exactly, because it's been, you know, it, I imagine in the, the original script, it's quite a paper-thin character. Uh, and you're right, he does right now. What I love is that he got the, the scar on his face um, like before he even became an actor, and, and a number of his films, they come up with very different reasons. And in Indiana Jones, I can't, it's, um, it's the... It's, he's, like with a tiger and a whip or something like that, isn't he? As a youngster, there's like a cutaway, and it explains that he got it from a bull whip, basically, uh, which which is nice. I, I quite like the fact that they weave that into some of his stories as well. Um, Did he get back because he was fastening his seatbelt and crashed or something stupid? I'm sure it's a car crash, or yeah, I'm sure it's something to do with the car. Um, but yeah, we've talked about Harrison Ford, uh, Han Solo, Indiana Jones, where it's basically Harrison Ford writ large on screen using his natural charisma. But in the eighties, he did put in some brilliant performance. I think Blade Runner. We've mm. spoken about Blade Runner on here before. That is that's proper acting. He's he's genuinely putting in a fantastic, ambivalent performance. Um, 
he doesn't know whether or not he's a replica. I, I think his performance in Blade Runner is incredible. Um, and also his performance in Witness is fantastic. And that did get him his only ever Oscar nomination. Um, uh, he was in Polanski's Frantic as well. During the 80s, he did do some very good films outside of the big franchises as well that I think sometimes maybe get a little bit overshadowed. Yeah, well, I mean, Blade Runner is just such a a brilliant film as well in general. I mean, I've spoken about how much I love it before. But I think as well, what makes it it so great is he truly believes something different to what the director believes Mm. throughout that film. And the dynamic that that creates. I mean, he he is a he's a very passionate sort of um, strong-willed man, isn't he? You know? Yes. And, and, and you can see that he brings he wants to portray that in in a certain way. Mm. Ridley wants to portray it in a different way. And yeah. actually, the fact that he sticks to his guns makes it so brilliantly enigmatic because yeah. that's what that's what blurs it so much. Definitely. Yeah, I think that's really really important to uh, yeah because Ridley does have an idea a very distinct idea of what is happening in Blade Runner. You're exactly right. Harrison Ford has gone on record as saying that he believes one thing, Ridley Scott believes another. And yeah, a, a lesser actor and a lesser personality will have been moulded. You're exactly right to make a far less... And the way he did the voiceover as well. Film. I mean, yeah. he's not voiceover, he just, he just does it like this. He does not want to speak at all because he, he genuinely does not believe that the voiceover is necessary, so he just refuses yeah. to do yeah. it, really. Yeah, no. So, and then, obviously, went on to the 90s, uh, the Jack Ryan films, uh, Clear and Present Danger, and the other one's gone off the top of my head now. That's terrible. Uh, was it Patriot Games? Patriot Games, yes, thank you. That was the first one, then Clear and Present Danger. The Fugitive, which is oh, such a brilliant film. And is The Fugitive's the first time I ever really noticed Tommy Lee Jones as well. It's the, They are such a, an iconic screen pairing, those two. Um, love The Fugitive. And I personally think Air Force One is a really underrated film. I don't know if any of you have seen it. Yes, it's a, it's a good... Action it's good film, solid action where, film. where he stars it's, as the president. Yeah, it's uh, a typical mid nineties action film. But it's directed by Wolfgang Peterson. You know, we've we've got the Das Boot director involved here, uh, and Gary Oldman brilliantly hams it up as I think he's Russian in this. Yeah. Um, uh, but Harrison Ford just plays the kind of president we all wish existed in real life, kind of thing. Um, but yeah, I think that's really good. What I would say is. He, de- he didn't make a lot. He, he's never really been hugely prolific in the amount of films he's made. He's always been very happy with making one one a year. Sometimes not even that. Um, but in the next year or so, he's got a load coming out. Actually. Um, mm. uh, next next year alone, he's got Ender's Game, which, which is a which sci-fi looks, novel looks adaptation. Quite, looks quite interesting. Looks interesting. He does like uh, sci-fi. Yeah, definitely, and it looks like he's playing kind of grizzled old, grizzled old general in that, which would mm. be which would be interesting. Forty two, which is a baseball biopic, um, paranoia, a thriller with Gary Oldman again and Liam Hemsworth, which is kind of based on industrial espionage, that kind of thing. And apparently, he's in talks for Expendables three. And he uh, better not in be doing this research. <laughs> Nick Cage has already signed up to Expendables three. I'm so fucking excited. <laughs> and apparently Steven Seagal is also like bending to maybe doing it. It appears that 
um, the kind of grizzled old man role is going to go to either Clint Eastwood or Harrison Ford, and everyone thinks it'll be Harrison Ford because Clint Eastwood probably thinks it's a little bit below him. Uh, whereas Harrison Ford seems to have a sense of fun. Um, so yeah, yeah. it's the best thing about um, when I mentioned that, like on a really old podcast mm. about Cowboys and Aliens. You know, yes, it was his screen presence really that made the film as yeah have any kind of life to it. It would have been better with more Harrison Ford. But he was just playing Harrison Ford. But, you know, yeah. it was great. It was just him with his own gravitas. For Again, yeah, it's that whole thing where he can be Harrison Ford. On and you think, I like Harrison Ford on screen. I've seen him on screen lots. Mm. And he doesn't need to do anything different. You know, some people are incredible actors. He has realised, you know, he's worked within his limitations, I suppose. Now, that sounds a bit harsh. Um, but he's never... He's never going to be a Pacino um, or a Philip Seymour Hoffman. Yeah, you know, he's he, he's Harrison Ford. Fuck it. Yeah, you know, he's he will he will be prof- he will be professional. If you look at the amount of brilliant directors he's worked with, that's always a really good sign of um, how good so, how well respected someone is within the industry. And you look at the directors he's worked with. Uh, you know, Peter Weir, Ridley Scott, um, Roman Polanski. Uh, as well as obviously Spielberg and Lucas, and you think actually, yeah, he's people like him clearly. And he, he, that's the other thing; he genuinely seems like a really nice guy. Um, the interesting I, I, thing about him as well is, you know, going back to your point about he, he knows that he's Harrison Ford. Yeah, he's, he's very willing to turn down roles where he doesn't think that he will fit in it, and he doesn't want it to be a Harrison Ford film. He turned down um, Schindler's List mm. because. He said that people would just see it as a as a Harrison Ford thing and not actually as Oscar Schindler. Yeah, and he's turned down. I mean, the list of, of things that he's turned down is absolutely staggering, to be honest. Um, I, I mean, he turned down Jurassic Park. Um, he turned down uh, the lead for Who Framed Roger Rabbit. He turned down uh, JFK, The Untouchables. Wow. I mean, he turned down uh, Hunt for Red October originally, which um, one of the Baldwin's did. Remember who did? Which one of the Baldwin's? I think it was Alec actually. Alec was in it, yeah. yeah, yeah, and then ended up doing the sort of the, the two follow-ups anyway. Yeah, um, and then you know, he, I mean, he's he's very much a guy who knows what he does. Mm. He knows the sort of gravitas that he has. I mean, he's very he must be very aware of how successful a, a film star he is. But he, it, the fact is that he has that integrity that he's willing to just go. Do you know what? This this film isn't going to work if I do it. Yeah, because you know it's going to be Harrison Ford and not the character that needs to be told. So I've got a lot of respect for actually, you know, yeah. down Schindler's list and say, you know what, that's that's going to make it Harrison Ford and not Oscar Schindler. Yeah, fair play. No, yeah, I genuinely think he he seems like um, he's a prominent Democrat. He's done a lot of work on um, climate change, and in America, that's very that can be quite difficult. Um, he's massive do, conservationist, by the way. Yeah, yeah, hugely into conservation. Does a lot of work on climate change. Has done a lot of work on gun control as well, which is yeah, quite ironic considering my, my some of the roles Harrison, he's had. My favourite Harrison Ford fact is um, aside from the fact that he seems to get injured and need surgery on pretty much everything. Is his, that he does. Is his sister in EastEnders? No, no. This is, this is payback for you, though, Steve. <laughs> he has um, two species of insect named after him. Wow. He also got asked to name a new species of butterfly, which he named after his daughter. Best birthday present ever. Oh, and again, he went, no, no, if you call it Harrison Ford as a butterfly, people will just think of me. <laughs> so, yeah, no. no just, it won't they work. Are like butterfly Harrison won't Ford work as Harrison Ford. So, 
name after my daughter. What integrity, what a man. He, no, so, he does genuinely have two named after him, like a, a species of ant or something. It's called something-something Harrison Fordye. And a, a type of spider that's Harrison Fordye. It's all these Star Wars geeks who get into important scientific jobs, bless mm. them. Um, but yeah, so that's that's our first inductee mm. into we have, we, the we Corridor of Praise. We haven't yet mentioned, although he's mentioned it on any other podcast where he comes up, that he's probably got the two best ever improvised scenes in cinema. Yes. Mm. With, yes. with the first one being Empire Strikes Back with where Princess Leia says to him, I love you, and he just turns back and says, I know. And apparently yeah. that was just practice. Yeah, you know, it was it was he was meant to say I love you as well. Yeah. And it just didn't work. No one thought it sounded right and they tried all other different things. He just winged it and said, I know, and it works because it suits his yeah. character of just arrogant hero. And then the other one, of yeah. course, is the uh the gunfight. Yeah. isn't the gunfight. The sword fight <laughs> versus the gun, which, which he did yeah. because he had dysentery. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Wasn't it just not him that had dysentery, but everybody involved was had the shit. Yeah. And no one <laughs> and no one could be bothered to film that. no one could be bothered to film some intricate sword fight properly, so we just shot the guy instead. Yeah. Again and um it's it's one of cinema's best ever jokes. It's not even meant as an actual joke. It's so it's just ah, oh, it's lovely. It's perfectly crafted mm. humour. So yeah, we love you, Harrison Ford, uh, and we think you fully deserve a place in our corridor of praise. He's not going to listen to this. Like he'll be playing golf with Bill Clinton. But yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well if, done. Do you know what? If if even anyone who's ever shook his hand listens to this, that'd be such an honour. Sorry, I've I've had too much wine and painkillers now. Mm-hmm. Gone off on one. There we go. So that's it for this week's Fail Critic Podcast. What's next week, James? Uh, next week, well, next week was going to be a um, our main review was going to be Seven Psychopaths, but we'll wait and see if anyone near and any of us is actually showing. <laughs> well, I can film. I can go but, and see it, but I don't know if you want yeah. me to carry a main review. <laughs> that, that'd be great, wouldn't it? Um, uh, it, it is showing near me. I think I will be able to see it. I think it's just Owen who's been shuffled by yeah. cinemas at the moment. But you never know. They might have it on by... It's due out on Wednesday. Yeah, um, I think they update the things on Tuesdays, don't they, Cineworld? Yeah. So, yeah, it's yeah. a bit of time. It's worth having a look. But, yeah, so hopefully our main review next week will be uh, Seven Psychopaths from the uh, writer-director who bought us in Bruges. And it it looks very funny and very excited by it. Who's in oh, it? It's got Christopher Walken in being a bad guy. Yeah, it's got Christopher Walken in it. It's got Sam Rockwell in. Um, it's got Woody Harrelson in. It's got Colin Farrell uh, and a dog. It, it, yeah, it looks great. The expensive dog. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so yes, thanks for listening. Uh, thanks for everyone for joining me and for everybody who's contributed to this podcast, from Kevin McLeod to Harrison Ford. <laughs>